The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. Hello, Bill. Hey, Good to see you, buddy. Good What's going you. on? We're here, man. You are here. Everything's going wild. How is your uh, site going? It's going. We're decentralizing as fast as possible, getting it out of our hands so that we need to protect ourselves from ourselves. Mm. How do you do that? Tell everybody it's maps. Minds. Minds, rather. Sorry. Minds.com. M-I-N-D-S. I just had uh, Rick Dobber Rick, on. No, I, what, I yeah, psychedelics yeah. on the brain. I sense kinship <laughs> with maps. Yeah. Um, yeah, minds and maps, the, the two of them should go together perfectly. We probably should work Seamlessly. Together. Yeah. So basically, there's protocols and there's platforms. So, you know, Twitter, Minds, um, other social networks, these are platforms. They're kind of built in the traditional social media style, which is on servers that are, you know, live in huge cloud centers. Right. Um, and But there's also protocols. The one that we're working with now is called Noster, which stands for notes and other stuff transmitted by Relay. So there's no company owns this protocol. The founder is anonymous, sort of similar to Bitcoin. And what it is, is it's all about crypto key pairs and signing stuff. So with Noster, this is all happening in the background on Minds. Every user has a cryptographic key pair, which you can download in your settings. You're the only one who gets the private key. That's your identity. Your content, your followers, all that is tied to your identity. So when you post something, when you follow somebody, that is creating a signature on this decentralized network of relay nodes. So we run a relay. Thousands of other people run relays. Snowden's on Noster now. He, it, it's like getting serious endorsement. And it's because it doesn't have a company, you know, because companies are choke points mm. that can, you know, we saw what happened with Napster, for instance. What happened with Napster? Napster just got rocked by the music industry, and they basically died. I mean, they still sort of exist, but they pretty much got taken down because there was that entity to go after. I see. So if they were decentralized, but there was no real decentralization back then, was there? Well, torrents are decentralized. BitTorrents, right. Torrents, actually, and Noster, is, there's work that we're involved with now on integrating Noster with torrents so that more heavy files, video, and rich media can be shared over the network. Right now, it's, it's text and links, essentially. What is your opinion when it comes to copyright protection and stuff like that? Well, like if someone has copyrighted material, like say if like NBC has a show and then someone uploads it. I mean, that's illegal. <laughs> right. But so, if it's on yeah. torrents, it's like, how do you get it down? You don't. You don't. You don't. So it's just, even though it's illegal... Yeah, I mean, and that, no that, that's why, like, so we have moderation. I mean, if, if a copyrighted video gets reported on Minds, then, you know, we will take it down from our interface. But, but it, it still exists right. on the decentralized network. So you really can't stop people from sharing it? No. 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 So, you know, I think I, I kind of have a nuanced view on copyright. Like, I think that people's work should be protected and, you know, not stolen and monetized. But at the same time, it's just like the nature of information yeah. is not 
compatible with copyright, really, right. just because information wants to do what it wants to do. That's one of the weirder things about what's happening with the internet is that essentially as time goes on, it becomes more and more difficult to control what, what's, what's just ones and zeros. Like as they're out there, the bottlenecks between people and information, they're getting broader. It's getting more and more difficult to stop things. And I think as time goes on, it will be impossible. I don't think there'll be any stop. I think in the future, like anything, I have a feeling that we'll, we'll have zero privacy in the future. I have a feeling that all of this encryption and all the stuff, I, I think it's all going to be invalid once quantum computing is ubiquitous. I think, I just have a feeling that there's no way you can stop information when, when technology moves past where it is now to some place where basically anybody could get access to anything at any time. And then the problem becomes, how do you control money? When that happens, because money, in a lot of, I mean, a lot of it is just ones and zeros, and the only thing that stops you from being able to steal it or transfer it is encryption. When when you don't have any more encryption, and anyone kind of has access to anything that's online. So, yeah, I hear you. It does seem like over time, technology is working against privacy, and it's yes, just, it's 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 that's evolving. The best way, that's a better way to put it. So. Yeah. But, you know, encryption hasn't been broken. Some encryption has been broken, but encryption is still good. It still works. And as, as quantum computing advances, encryption protocols will advance too. So it is, it's a race, um, and there are people trying to, trying to break it. But I, I, I heard the other day you were mentioning the whole thing with uh, Signal and Tucker. Yeah. And so, I, yeah, to clarify that, so based on my understanding, Signal has not been compromised um, the Pegasus program that you were referring to does have the ability to hack people and get into their device. But once you get into the, someone's device, it's actually easier to get into someone's machine or phone than it is to hack the encryption protocol. So if you can get into someone's phone, then you can you probably can get into their I think messages. That's what they did. So that's different. That's yeah. different than signal being irrelevant. Right. It's yeah. not that signals are relevant, but it's just that the government right now has the ability to get into things no matter what. All you according to Gavin DeBecker, who's a securities expert, he said all they need is your phone number. Mm-hmm. Signal one was excuse me, um, Pegasus one was you needed a link. So someone would have to that's the whole Jeff Bezos story. Someone Sent him a link on WhatsApp. He clicked on that link. Bang! All of a sudden, they have access to his phone. Right, and you have to be super sophisticated to lock yourself down to yeah. avoid that. Like I'm sure that there are people who. Well, I know there are people who are probably less victim to something like Pegasus. But sure, yeah, probably less victim. But I mean, I guess with a guy like Jeff Bezos, he probably has someone scan his phone all the time. But I wonder if they could even detect Pegasus at this point. Yeah. And if we know about Pegasus 2, how do we know if there's a Pegasus 3? Like, whatever sort of workarounds they've found, I'm I'm sure we're not going to be privy to it until it's too late. Yeah, I mean, the layers of surveillance kind of keep zooming out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think this whole whole intelligence world is is getting out of control. I mean, because you've got artificial intelligence, you've got... We have what we know is the state of human intelligence, 
we then have what is speculated to be potential non-human intelligences. Yeah. Have you heard about this Arrow office that just came out? No. So Arrow, all-domain anomaly research office that you, you, in the NDAA recently, um, there's all these UFO pieces of language. Mm -hmm. And so... And Christopher Mellon, who you've had on, mm -hmm. is kind of really knowledgeable about this. I learned a lot of this from him. Um, and anyway, the reason I'm talking about this is I think that intelligence and, like, secret information, like, as it transcends through the corporate world and the government world, like, it's all kind of interconnected. And, like, the, the same types of models are used. So, but anyway, Arrow is the NDAA that recently passed now gives all these whistleblower protections to people to come forward which is an absolute game changer. And um, Arrow is this new office that's like decently funded, I think like 11 million a year or something like that. And they're doing an audit, basically, of the government on these issues. And I think that it, it correlates to surveillance to me, at least in, a specula uh, you know, in, in speculation, because th like, what is this system? Like, right. if they're here, which I don't know, but that is surveillance. And, you know, it's just all compartmentalized and we don't know what's going on. So that's why it's great that this office exists. So, like, if someone wants to get a hold of, like, what, a, I feel like with, with thing, when you have something like Pegasus, all you have to do is have access to it and you can get a hold of anything. And someone wouldn't even know if you, obviously Tucker didn't know. I don't know what kind of security protocols Tucker's company or what you know what he uses but obviously he didn't know that they had access to his phone right yeah I don't know all the specifics of Pegasus but you know we also know everything from Snowden and the um, prism program which you know maybe was wind was winded down a little bit I remember I hear heard, heard some of, of, of that stuff got rolled back but realistically no no yeah. no, no. It's probably expanded, and for sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'd, I'd imagine they could do what I, I imagine they could just get all the access to anyone who's in in any room, just zoom in on that room, know where all the the you know phone numbers are, and just bam. Yeah, but the paradox of having all these back doors is that it makes everybody less safe. It makes all of the government people less safe to have these back doors. I mean, right. in the in some of the Twitter files, you know, we found that these war these uh chat rooms that they had were they were using signal. Yeah. The government uses signal very heavily. Yeah. And you know, the Twitter rooms where they had people from, you know, the social media industry and um they 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 use that. So to advocate for back doors into encryption is just like self-mutilation. Mm. It's bizarre. It's that, bizarre, but it's one of those things where they want to use it on other people, even if it could be used against them. They probably feel like a lot of the people they're checking in on don't have access to that. Like you're like a standard journalist, like they want to like zoom in on Matt Taibbi's phone. I'm sure he doesn't have access to that. So it's like he can't use it on them, but they could use it on him. Yeah, I just feel like we're living in sort of a, a petri dish. A little bit. I, I just like the the type of information that like the level of discourse on this planet right now is very like tampered down compared to what's really going. I mean, that's just an undeniable fact. We tampered we, down. 
Yeah, I mean, there's uh, and this is this is um, verified. I I actually, I'm a fucking dork. I read the whole Wikipedia article, but just about top secret information and like all the levels, and the U.S. government produces more classified information than non-classified information. <laughs> so even if, like, there's an audit, they could redact everything. Yeah, and it's just all these different uh, divisions and departments, and they all have their own protocols. So just getting a handle on it is, I mean, that's the first thing that has to get done. We have to, but not, not that we're even going to get the real information from there. Right. But um, but then there's also the national security aspect of it. It's like, you know, you have to have some things redacted because you know of China and Russia. Like they could just say that, and then yeah, that is the phrase that gets used. Sure. It's so because they have sad. a full like clamp down on their population. I mean, they they limit the access to the internet. They're they're mm -hmm. in it is essentially like China based. Like you, VPNs are illegal. It's like, and they're trying to do that here in America. It's all backwards, yeah, with the restrict act. That is yeah, wild. It's getting, it's getting nasty. Twenty years if you use a VPN, which is hilarious. And it's it's managed by the Commerce Department. Unelected bureaucrats yeah. are the ones. See, TikTok's actually not named in that act. Right. They're just letting the Secretary of Commerce decide which apps. Yeah. That's insane. It's insane. So. Um, yeah, it, Dan Crenshaw posted about it. Uh, he he uh, he thinks it's not that big a deal because he thinks that you know there's a lot of uh, acts that get pushed and then they never get passed through. But what's disturbing is just the idea, the desire to do this, and the fact that it, uh, imagine if it did get passed. I mean, it's a, just a, a fucking full on assault on free speech. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be getting a toxic stigma connected to it. Did you see Jesse Waters grill Lindsey Graham about it? No, I didn't. Oh, he didn't read it, but he endorsed it. Oh, Jesus. And it was, and he just got completely called out. It was, it was really funny. It, like, that should be illegal. You should not even be able to sign right. something that you haven't read. And they can't read it. It's too, it's too long. Right. There's That's, not enough time. There's not enough time. That's a lot of these acts, right? Oh, pop. and they slip a bunch of shit in there. That's like, wait a minute, what about page four hundred and eighty-five? Like, what the fuck is going on there? And then, like, oh, oh didn't read that. <laughs> yeah, I but mean, meanwhile, it's just like it's going to change discourse in this country. It's going to change what people have, you know, the 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 access that people have to free speech and communication. And I mean, I think a lot of people endorsed it righteously, being concerned about TikTok. You yeah. know, the, that's what was so sneaky. Is right. that, you know they they enrage you to then support this disaster. Yeah. Um, and it's just like we we can all agree that there's a problem with TikTok, and that there's you know the Chinese government having access to all of this data is is problematic. But like we there should be an encrypt act like pr encrypt everything. But you can't go around banning apps. It just doesn't work. It's irrelevant. People are going to use. Uh, VPNs. I, I I think this this uh, act needs. I, I don't think it's going to make it. I, well, hope, I, I, I hope you're right. Yeah. Because more people are talking about it. Tulsi Gabbard posted a big thing about it. There's a lot of people that are up in arms. But my concern is, 
if it wasn't for social media, that act, which was kind of ironic, right? If it wasn't for social media and people sharing this and becoming outraged and people discussing this, it would have slipped right through like the Patriot Act did. Mm. The Patriot Act existed in a time where there wasn't social media and people weren't really aware of what they were pushing through until it was too late. Yeah, I think there's much better solutions. I mean, did you watch any of the TikTok CEO getting grilled? Yes, I did. Okay, so, yeah. you know, that was interesting because, you know, he's a pretty, he seemed like a sober guy. Um, but in his point was, well, you have to have consistent standards for other social media companies too. I mean, right. face, like, how do we know that Facebook and Google, just because they're U.S.-based, doesn't mean that they're not giving data to China? We have no idea. We have no idea. So that's really the issue. We need to understand what specifically are all of these apps doing. They should be labeled very specifically, um, you know, and it, we're starting to see some of that happen. But th the thing is, you can't know with these proprietary apps because they're just not sharing anything. I think one of the problems that people have with uh, whether any kind of decentralized um, uh, app like yours or any other de decentralized uh, social media network is that people immediately go, oh, what, what do I have to do to do this? Like Mastodon, when people start mm -hmm. using Mastodon right. and you get on it, you're like, what is this? There's so many servers and how do I know what to join and what what's going on here? Like, Yeah. So, well, Minds is different. Minds is actually not fully decentralized. We're a hybrid. So we run a centralized infrastructure, but we interface through delegation, delegated cryptographic event signing. We, 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 that's happening in the background, but like our app feels like a normal social media app. It's different. Mastodon, the way that that works, is federated instances. So there's all of these different instances with different URLs, and there's like 20 people on each one. And, you know, but there is sort of some interoperability between the instances because the, you, you can subscribe to somebody on another instance from your instance. But it's not fully decentralized. It's federated. And the problem is that you don't own your identity. So if, if, if one of those instances goes down, you're screwed. Your, your stuff is, is gone. With, in, in Nostr, which is like an architecturally different setup, and there's other protocols similar to Nostr, but... It doesn't matter if if the website goes down. You just pop over to another one, upload your your key, and all your stuff is there. So, and that's why we like it because it keeps us in check. Because our users could can now basically, if we fuck around, they'll bounce and they can take their stuff. And that's you know, the, because the the social graph specifically is the key. Because you spend a decade built you know getting all these followers. Like it's right. your life. People spend their lives doing this, and then to be able to just get taken out by YouTube is so devastating and unethical. It's well, ridiculous. it's really creepy, too, because many of the things they took people out for have turned out to be true. Like, there was a lot of things that they were labeling as disinformation or misinformation, which are 100% proven fact now. And people lost their accounts, and there's no recourse. They're not going to reinstate you. And that was a problem also with Twitter that for the longest time, if you said anything that was contrary to whatever the narrative was, what, whether the government was pushing it or the CDC was pushing it, like anything contrary to that narrative, you would get fucked. <laughs> yeah, and, and, those and those people, people are not, they're, also, they're not back though. I, will, I think Twitter's making way more progress than everyone else. And I'm, look, I'm ultimately 
an Elon fan. I'm rooting for him. I think it's vastly improved. But there's chaos currently underway at Twitter. Oh, sure. There, and, and those people have not all been let back on. And I, I don't really understand well, who hasn't why. Been let back the on? people that we don't know. The people who's random Joe Schmo posting a COVID study, like, has he been let back on? All the thousands of people that got banned. Like, well, I think he essentially let back on everyone who didn't do anything illegal. So not, not Alex. Not Alex. Yeah, that's true. Why? Yeah, well, that's a personal opinion of Elon's, which I don't agree with at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. they let Andrew Tate on. Right. You know, it's like... Yeah, it doesn't mean that he's endorsing Alex to let him back on. Right, it doesn't. I mean, because there's a lot of people that are back on that are, you know... They didn't make that one specific mistake that Alex made, but they've said some... But the mistake that... Al- the reason Alex was banned was because he confronted... It was actually for something he did off Twitter. So he confronted this journalist, Oliver Darcy, yes. in a line at some event. And he was, you know, being Alex Jones sort of ranting at him yeah and then twitter said oh you're bullying this guy and this is like not acceptable behavior so you're you're gonna leave but then when i remember you know the exchange with elon and whoever it was that was asking asking it was that he hadn't been let on because of the sandy hook stuff yeah which is not the same that's not even why he was banned right so you know it's not easy i i understand you know the politics of it and he probably has tim cook being like you know, we're not going to advertise if you have Alex Jones, but I don't know what's going on. But it doesn't seem to me because he could he could win the argument if he would just let him back on. Right. And and did you see this crazy clip of uh, of Elon and the BBC guy? I did. I posted oh. it today. On oh, Twitter. you did. It was amazing. Amazing. It was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. Because the guy kept trying to change subjects and let's move on. Like, no, 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 no. What mm-hmm. What the fuck are you talking about? Because that guy thought he could just say the narrative without specific examples. Like, give me an example. And the guy had no examples. That's most people who are yes. concerned about this. Well, this is like a lot of people that I know that are famous that like publicly announced they were leaving Twitter. And, you know, one of them I really love. And I was like, why are you doing it? I didn't even say anything to her, but I'm like, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. This is so dumb. Like, you, you're just doing this because this is the thing that everyone feels like they're supposed to do. Hey, well, Twitter's kind of fucked now, so bye. No, it was fucked before. It's less fucked now. Yeah, there, are there people that are going to say things like what I showed you earlier today, which is hilarious, and someone posted to Kamala Harris like, oh, after yeah, yeah, she yeah. said something about the assault ban? That shit's important. It's important to have people mock people. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sorry if it hurts someone's feelings, but that shit's important. Yeah, and I, I, I think the way that Elon handled that was great because obviously you need a specific example to back up an argument. However, yes. I sort of think the whole premise of the conversation is wrong. This idea, th- this war that Twitter is at with all the think tanks, and I think it was the Institute for Strategic Discourse that w- had actually compiled the information that the BBC guy was talking about. And there is information there. There is data showing, you know, hate speech, XYZ, has, has increased. However, this is the wrong conversation. It's not... The existence or even rise of hate in the, the the presence of that content on an app is not you, – you're not just trying to ban hate. Banning hate does not stop hate. And this is what the peer-reviewed research shows. So, so trying to bully Elon and Twitter for – look, even if there was a bump of hate speech since it became a little bit more free, I mean it seems like – that's a, a 
potentially understandable intermediary effect to happen while things reorient. Like, mm-hmm. we open up free speech. We're open up the valve a little bit, okay? Because we think that this is going to be healthy for society long term. So let it bump a little bit. We need that. We need to see what we hate or what other people hate. You need to, like, what is it? Um, free speech let us, lets us know who the idiots are. Like, you, mm-hmm. you need to identify them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the, the best response to whatever it is, bad speech, is better speech, is better arguments. And that's, you, you literally have a debate platform, which is what Twitter essentially is. Yeah, that is yeah. the purpose. Yeah, it's the purpose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and not to mention that the hate isn't defined. So it's only one type of hate that these people are typically referring to. Right-wing hate. Right-wing hate. Yeah, not, not left-wing left, Right, that's, yeah. that's okay. And so actually, so um, we're, at, we're suing California. We just filed this law because um, this uh, complaint, they are trying to pass this social media law called AB 587, which requires, it's a censorship law. They're, they're, they require these policies on disinformation, misinformation, hate speech, and then they use, they, undefined, use the words extremism and radicalization. There's no definitions. They don't require you to have a, a, a child exploitation material policy, but they do require you to have a policy on hate, which isn't defined. Right. And so we're suing them with, um, with the Babylon Bee and, and Tim Pool. When did they start this, uh, when, when they start trying to pass this? It just went into effect in January. So it's now? It's now, it's in. So if you live in California, what's the repercussions? So it is, it's, it's targeted at social media companies. Okay. So basically mandating that social media companies um, have the, submit these policies. So we would have to, we would, they would force us to write a policy on hate speech and submit it to them. And then additionally, we, we would have to, on like a biannual basis, submit analytics about all of our moderation data. Which, honestly, we're already transparent about our moderation data, so that's, that's largely public anyway. We have a jury system, um, and, and we have in-house moderators. But the, the, it's, it's just it's a huge burden. Like, it's crazy that they would expect companies to submit all that and then have ar- these arbitrarily, well, actually not arbitrarily, specifically chosen categories for policies that are clearly politically charged. And Newsom, like, when he came out and announced this law, it was very, you know, we have to stop hate on social media and misinformation and disinformation. Protect society. Protect democracy. No, you know, you're not protecting democracy by stopping free speech. That right, is, because there's no, there's no checks and balances in place if something turns out to be accurate. Where then whoever put out that disinformation initially... Like if someone like someone posts something like say masks don't work and they get banned off of Twitter and say oh This is in response to the CDC's but if it turns out that masks actually don't work the CDC doesn't get punished Which is kind of fucking crazy because if they're the ones that are setting these guidelines and these guidelines turn out to be inaccurate and people get banned off of social media for arguing with these out these these guidelines. There's no repercussions. There's nothing you know, it just 
these people are fucked and there's no recourse. There's right. nothing yeah, to do. Actually, that's the policy that we do need. We need the policy for social social networks and media companies to, you know, apologize and <laughs> and fix their wrongs. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also, like, why wouldn't the CDC be punished then? Well, shouldn't they be banned? Mm-hmm. Or shouldn't they be, like, have a strike against them? But they're not. It's like... It's it's really frustrating because you're dealing with narratives that are oftentimes 100% propaganda and they're not backed by science. They're not back. It's just like th- some things that people say, like when Rachel Maddow was on t- on television telling everybody that this vaccine stops the virus in its tracks. If you get vaccinated, the virus can no longer affect you. It can't affect anyone else. It stops and we can get out of this thing. Well, that's not fucking true at all. And that person, there was no repercussion other than public mockery, which continues to this day where, you know, whenever she posts something, people post that video. What about this, stupid? And, you know, there's nothing other than that. I know. They're not even inviting um, the other side on to correct the issues. They're certainly not, you know, correcting their errors. And, you know, it's just not that hard to to admit you're wrong. I don't know. Maybe it is hard for... but. People get into their own egos and they just can't handle it. Well, there's people that are beyond reproach, and that's the problem, or organizations that, you know, like one of the things that's fascinating about Twitter now is they fact check the Biden administration. So the Biden administration put out some tweets that were 100% horseshit, and then underneath it, Twitter fact checked them, so they deleted the tweets. Which is glorious. Like that, is. That, that's, that's amazing. And that's never happened before. Yep. Community Notes is I, I, my favorite feature on Twitter by far. It keeps everybody in check. It, ha- it has a process for kind of vetting information, surfacing it to the top, you know, showing the better idea to the bad idea. Mm-hmm. And actually their, uh, their Community Notes stuff is all open source. It was a little bit disappointing, though, when they open sourced the algorithm the other day. Open source the algorithm. Um, which, step in the right direction. I'm not trying to... Um, not trying to attack, but you know what we learned basically is that it's not the live algorithm; it's an algorithm. What do you mean? So what does that mean? The, so it's not the production algorithm, at least from what we can tell, because you, you saw what happened with Substack. Mm-hmm. So ha- has that been reversed? Um, I, I think, think it has. Yeah, I, I don't. I would need to confirm. I, I think that the the ability to engage with those posts got changed back, but then like Taibbi's post, you can even search them. And but the point being is that, and I submitted a comment on their GitHub where this algorithm exists. It's like, well, if this is the algorithm, why wasn't the Substack blocking showing up in the algorithm the other day? Mm. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't there. So clearly, there's some sort of a link blacklist. Um, and you know, Twitter did say that this isn't the whole algorithm, and they're going to be releasing more over time. But the problem is we should have seen something change in that when all mm. the Substack blocking went down. Mm. So, How know. many users does Minds have now? Um, we are 5 million. Oh, that's great. We actually had to take a little haircut because we, um, you know, and we're trying to be as honest as possible because uh, oh, basically we had been counting that people who you know, fail. Data is hard. And so people who had like tried to sign up were in our data showing as signed up. So, you know, back backed it up a little bit. But the point being, we don't use any closed source proprietary analytics tools. So like the temptation when you're running a startup, trying to create an app is to just 
go to the you know Silicon Valley display case of Google Analytics and Customer.io and all of these surveillance tools. They're and analytics tools that are very powerful and can give you very precise data about what's going on. But but we have refused to use any of those tools because you when you, you put Google Analytics on your website, you are becoming Google. You are now part of Google's tentacles. And you're basically handing over all your th that user data to Google. And we just like our whole foundation has been fully open source and just don't take shortcuts. And so we're going to like our growth path is is healthy. It's happening. We're continually growing. But we're I'm not going to I don't care about the pace of growth as much as the quality. And so, you know, we built a whole day like we do machine learning. We we're, we're starting to do AI, but we're doing it in an open source way. So like in the AI wars right now, you have like open, quote unquote, open AI, which isn't, you know, it's barely open. They don't share much of what's going on. And they shroud that in some sort of like, oh, we're, you know, we need to protect you and we need to not let this get out of control, which maybe there's an element of truth to that. But then there's a whole other part of the AI world, like with stable diffusion and, and stability and we're all, it's all open source and it's being done in the open and everybody has access because you know, do you, as you see all this AI stuff coming about you, do you think that you should, how, how do you feel about that? Do, do you think that you should be compensated in a way? Do you, do you have any, like no. you mentioned copyright. Do you yeah, have any issues no. with it? No. I mean, it, it is what it is. It, there's no stopping that. And um, I saw it a long time ago because uh, this company from Canada was the first one to take uh, all of, um, I mean, they, they essentially got a database of all my uh, audio recordings, which is fucking thousands of them. So there's so many hours of me talking that they could easily have me saying a bunch of things. And so they uh, put together like uh, just this recording of me saying a bunch of things that I've never said and me talking about some subjects and doing these things. And it was a conversation that I never had. Mm -hmm. And then they did one with me doing a podcast with Steve Jobs, which is wild. And then now there's a new one with me doing a podcast with Sam Altman. And uh, it's a full podcast. I listened to the beginning of that one. I think they did it tastefully because they made it very clear yes. that it's not you. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, a proof of concept. It's mm -hmm. like they're showing that this is something that can be done. And there's no flavor to it, which is interesting. Like there's no – like if you and I are having a conversation, it's – there's fun. There's like – there's laughing. There's – you know, there's like – there's human interaction. This was just like question, answer, yeah, and then question, it'd be like, answer. And you would be like, question. oh, well, that's interesting. Yeah. It, it, and that just kept happening. You can tell. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can kind of tell. But for now, for now – I mean, they'll be able to sort of code your personality in the future and sort of gauge your and maybe even have some, you know, some w weird interactions that are just silly that you could sort of program in that make it look like personality and make it. And look you like can do that now. You can uh, prompt more like casual attitude. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think that. OK, so maybe you don't care. And no, that's it's not good. that I don't care. It's just that uh, it is what it is. Right. Like, would I rather it not exist? Of course. Uh -huh. Of course. I mean, I just, um, I'm, 
getting sent these things where I'm doing these ads for products oh, that I've never used and mm. I've never talked about. And, you know, these companies. And we tried to ch chase one of them down. It was like, I think it was like a testosterone booster or something like that. But you, when you do go down this rabbit hole legally, when mm. you sick a lawyer on it, they're like, Jesus Christ, like there's a web, like there's, there's shell companies, shell corporations. It's very difficult to find. It's all overseas. Very difficult to find who's actually making this and how they would profit off of it. Yeah. When we talk about AI, like displacing work, you know, on a mass scale, I think that we do have to have a conversation about these companies and, you know, where they're getting all their data and, you know, who's getting compensated. Because, yeah. So I actually prompted chat GPT and asked it, you know, do you have the rights to the data that you're using? Mm. And it said it's. It, it said no. It said that we 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 do not have access or rights to all of the data that we're using, and that you know that could be, become more of a concern over time. I posted this, and so what does that mean? You know, because what are they doing? They're scraping the the world's use of language, the, all, all right. the data, all the imagery, everything. And so, when we talk about OpenAI becoming you know uh, worth hundreds of billions of dollars, probably it's, it's fastest growing app. In the history of the world, right. it got to 100 million faster, than, like way faster than everybody, doing massive, you know, 10 billion dollar deal with with Microsoft. They're profiting off of the world's data, right? So I'm not saying that that's not okay at all, but I mean, if something that I created that I didn't give them permission to use is get, you know, if they're profiting off of that, basically, I think there's a world where the uh, some type of UBI that, but the companies pay people. So like we, mm. we split revenue with our users. We, we do like crazy rev share programs because our, our whole thing is like, if you bring energy to this network, like get paid. So how does that work? Like when you say revenue, like what kind of revenue are we talking about? And like, where's revenue coming from? So we have Minds Plus, Minds Pro, similar in functionality to like Twitter Blue, but we do... Uh, you get more reach, more exposure, uh, verified, and more video upload, HD. And you pay monthly? Yeah, you pay monthly. Yeah, you know. Um, Minds Plus is like seven bucks. Minds Pro is more. But How much is Minds Pro? Minds Pro is 50 a month. 50? Yeah. That's like. Dude, I, I'm, I think people want to support platforms that they care about. I, what do you get here's for 50 a tip bucks for a month? You just get a lot more video. Dude, video is so expensive. Right, because you have to put it up Transcoding, and you have to transcode into like right. every version in its mother. Mm. We, have, we have free users who are actually costing us like, I shouldn't even say this because, <laughs> but because they're just uploading video all day and it's getting no traffic. So it's like they're costing us lots of money, but it's okay. That's that we want free video upload. But like, you know, YouTube, for, like the amount that they're paying, like they were losing money forever. Because of that, right? So it's the the video is is killer, but you know basically, and then we also have a non-surveillance native ad network where you can boost your posts, and so you can people can pay for that. But what we do is that well, so one, if you serve boosts on your page, we give you, we split it with you, and we may even go deeper and give people more than half for the ad, for the ads that they're serving. And then additionally, if you get someone to buy a membership, you get half. Is anyone that's cool forever? Is, any, is anyone making a living off of mines? There are some. Yes. Really? Yeah. So they, that's their job, as they post on mines. Yep. Wow. 
How much money? Well, one of them. I mean, you know, they're you know they're making thousands of dollars a month, so Hmm. you know it's it's money. It's real money. Yeah, yeah. Um, But that you know, if think of if you're doing it in a traditional business way, like we're going to build a sales force um, and bring on a bunch of sales reps and send them out into the world and help sell our product and give them a commission. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe typically a company if they're trying to do. uh, a sales, a sales force, you know, maybe 20% commission, maybe 10 to 20% commission. If you sell something, we're just like, well, I don't really want to manually hire everybody. Like, why wouldn't we just offer this crazy commission to our whole community? Yeah. And then, cause we are community owned. So our code is owned by everybody. Everybody owns their content. We're actually, we, we just reopened our uh, stocks. So you can buy our stock on WeFunder right now. Um, we want to be owned by the world. Mm. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's like a distributed sales force, but, you know, because, like, not everybody's a big creator. So, you know, right. only some people can make a ton of money serving ads on their page. Right. There's only a certain type of people that, that that's relevant to you know a couple a normal per, person on social media might be able to make you know a dollar a couple dollars a month they get a few views um, but the reason the commission program matters is because everybody has a network everybody has friends everybody um, every everybody can be a you know have boots on the ground and go off and do work and 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 sell stuff so. You know, if you sell a thousand dollar ad deal on mines, take five hundred. Like, and and I, that's real incentive. We want to like really like go w- far beyond. So, you know, here's a tip for Elon. And Elon, you know, would love to to collaborate with you, but he should have like a thousand dollar a month option. People would pay. People want Twitter to win. And what would you get for a thousand bucks a month? Dude, people pay. What's worth 12 grand a year? I mean, if you got, you could bake in advertising, you could bake in a lot of advertising. So you're, you get a lot more reach. You could get um, access to the Twitter team. You know, there, there's stuff that people will pay for. People want to grow on social media because, you know, reach is influence. Right, but wouldn't that be a problem? You're you're only allowing that reach for people that have a lot of money that no, can not... afford a thousand bucks a month. Yeah, but they're already selling ads. You can already do that. What's the difference if you just bake it into a subscription? So how does it work? Because I've never bought an ad on those things. Like just click, add, give a credit card, say how many you know how much you want to spend per day, how long you want it to go, and it just shows up in people's feeds. Yeah. Mm. Because I always wondered, like, why why is this in my feed? Because for a long time it wasn't, and then now you do see these like paid ads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the promoted post, and you know, it's we the the people who who do it on Minds are much less like annoying advertisers and more so just artists and people trying to get the word out about their stuff. Yeah, and so yeah. What's your typical user base like? How are you how are you attracting people other than like coming on a podcast and talking about it? People just find us organically looking for alternatives to big tech. I mean, people are sick of this shit. This is insane. Everything has gotten totally out of hand, and it's just unapologetic. Like, with Facebook and Google, you know, they're just not – they're not leveling with everybody. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, so we understand that there's 
horrible content on the internet. Like, let's deal with this and not erode freedom of speech. And like, I would love to see, you know, Sundar Pichai or or Zuckerberg or, you know, Tim Cook, like have more of a balanced conversation about this. But it just seems like whenever they talk about it, it's like they're it's like they're posturing. It doesn't feel real. And like they're really acknowledging even like the the academic conversation with regards to censorship, because the academics are saying that censorship causes increased radicalization. So what's going on here? Mm. Yeah. What what are what other things could be done to sort of level the playing field? I mean, open sourcing is foundation number one. Like, everyone's afraid, you know, look, companies will say, oh, we couldn't share our secret, our secret sauce. You know, that's what, that's what makes us competitive. Mm-hmm. But you, it, it's just, it's, it's just really not true. Like, you can use software licenses as well that restrict people. So you can still be transparent. Like, for instance, there's this, there's this really cool app called Uniswap, which is a decentralized uh protocol for crypto so you can swap tokens with the, and there's no intermediary and they used a time delayed GPL G- GPL is general public license one of the most famous um, free software licenses but they basically said look we want we need to be transparent no one takes anything in crypto seriously unless it's transparent and audited um, so we're gonna make it so that we're showing you all the code you can make sure we're not spying on you, doing anything sketchy. But if you're a commercial entity, you cannot fork our code and compete with us for the next two years. So they basically were giving themselves a head start. The license that we use is the uh, GPL v3, which says that anyone can do whatever they they can. And people do. There are other versions of mines around the world, people running it and having their own social network. But if they make changes, they have to share those changes with the world. So it's referred to as copyleft in kind of the copyright world. It's basically that, yeah, we're, you, you have to, it's sort of a pay it forward. Mm-hmm. I borrowed from you, I'm gonna use that to build my business. Yeah, I'm gonna sell it, I'm gonna make a ton of money, but you know, the development that I did, I also have to share. And there's many others. I mean, there's even licenses that are way more restrictive but still provide the transparency. There's ones that are just read only. Like, listen, you can read, read this and see it, but you cannot touch it. You know, that would be a, a step in the right direction for Facebook. But and the thing is that they know about this power dynamic because they do create tons of open source tools like React and Ang- Facebook created React, which is like one of the most popular JavaScript frameworks. And, you know, Angular was made by Google and tons of databases and backend tools. These big tech companies do contribute a ton to open source, but they only do it on the stuff that, you know, are developer tools because they know that the developers will only use their stuff if it's open source. Developers are are never going to use something that they don't have control over. So it's like this very intentional game that they're playing. Their main apps, they do not, they're not transparent about it all, but they know that they need the developer energy. So... You know, I think that they should just do it. And the the, the great thing, even though the Twitter algorithm's not, you know, there yet, I think that Elon is. When I saw that happening, I would just like, 
You know, it's like one of the big guys dipped their toe in the water. But it really has to be someone like Elon, who's eccentric and insanely wealthy, who's willing to go out on a limb for $44 billion and overpay for a company and then sort of like fucking throw it upside down. But it's, you know, it's it's working. It's working. It's and it's, you know, besides all the people that like publicly decried that they were done, like that's not real. Like the, the reality is like they're, that's not really that important. The real important stuff is the mass amounts of humans that are constantly sharing information. And that seems to have gone up. Yeah, I, I think that Elon also just changed the way that the billionaires act like before him you know who's another billionaire that shit posts memes nobody i mean just but that ha don't underestimate and i know you don't but the fact that he did that i i think it sort of paves the way for other people up on his level to start being more real you think so i hope so i i, I think I, most of them are cowards and they just don't have the courage to like be that wild and just really post things they think are funny. Like when he, for me, my favorite one ever was the Bill Gates one. When he posted the photo of Bill Gates next to a pregnant man emoji. And it's like, if you ever want to lose a boner real fast. And he has a specific uh, beef with Bill Gates because he's shorting Tesla stock. Yeah. Um, but yeah, exactly. I mean, they should. It's good for it, people like real things. People don't like fake things. Mm -hmm. Like they should, even if they were being... Uh, sketchy and like manipulative about it. Like they should be acting real mm -hmm. because that's what people like. I saw Bezos uh, tweeting. Bezos, I, I I think he wants to come out of his shell. He was tweeting some like a Barry Weiss article, which was weird. Interesting. You know, because Amazon, we we just ditched Amazon. We moved our whole operation over to Oracle because they're more committed to free speech. Um, mm. And you know, does Amazon censor? I mean, they banned Parler. Oh, did they? Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and they have much worse terms, which like kind of spell well, out. What was their justification for banning Parler? Did they make a statement? It was all around the Jan Six stuff, mm. and you know, uh, extremism type reasons. And meanwhile, all that content is on Facebook. And on other, certainly on other platforms that were on AWS. So do you think that that's just uh, sort of uh, like a PR move to ban Parler? Partially. I don't know all the specifics of, you know, the back and forth between them. And, I, you know, it's, I don't, I don't know if they were war given warning or the ability. Right. But the thing is, even if they were, it's like what Amazon would have been at, you know, take down this content or you're going to or you're going to have to leave, um, you know, that would be violating what they were trying to do with, mm -hmm. with free speech, which, you know, because there's, there's a group of companies now that are like pro-free speech platforms, which is, are gaining dominance. It's awesome. You know, you got Rumble, you've got um, Parler, you've got um, Mines, you've got, you know, there's, there's a bunch of them. And, but unfortunately, the, the waters get muddied because, you know, Rumble uses Google Analytics. They are totally closed source. They don't. So, so they're they're doing this, some some of the speech stuff right, which is absolutely essential. And so, again, it's a huge step in the right direction. 
I actually had a back and forth with um, with Chris, the, the, their CEO, and he said that he would be open to some some open source stuff. Except he's been icing me on a couple of emails recently. So um, he's probably busy though. No. Oh, he's very busy. Um, but I think that this open source issue like needs to be honed on. We can't we can't just let the next wave of free speech companies be doing all the same shit that big tech was doing on the technological end. We can't just let them keep doing the surveillance, keep doing the secrecy. It's not, we're not moving forward if that is where we ultimately end up. So, but what I'm hoping, so we, we're core developers at, uh, well, we contributed a, 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 um, what's called a NIP, which is a Noster Improvement Proposal, which is the framework which could enable a site like Twitter or Rumble or any of them to integrate Noster like we do. So you don't have to be fully decentralized, but you can, imp you can integrate NIP 26, which is delegated event signing, so that your users have an escape hatch. And that that's really all people want. People are going to keep using Twitter just because a fully decentralized option exists. Doesn't mean people are going to stop using Twitter. And I feel like that's kind of what Elon has in his head because he even Nostra was on the. Remember when, um, a f like a couple months ago, Twitter came out with this policy like we're banning links to Instagram, Facebook, um, and Mastodon, and then they they rolled it back. Do you remember that? I don't. So they did do that, um, and people were bugging out like. Of Don't, course. And, and so they, they rolled back the policy. They said, okay, we're not going to do that. Noster was actually on that list. So, so they're aware of, of this system, but I think that they're, they're thinking about it the wrong way because the fully like there's a, um, a fully pure Noster client called Domus, which is super nice, um, and it is, it's a great option. But you know, fully decentralized options – don't have a ton of functionality. You know, they don't have the notifications. They don't have a lot of the discoverability of stuff. There's there's serious limitations with fully decentralized stuff that's never going to be able to compete with more of like a centralized option where you can do all this fancy uh, data processing and whatnot. So I think that this like this idea that we need to push out de de decentralized competitors is really just like the wrong state like if elon repeatedly says like we need to maximize public trust and i do believe that he believes that and wants that and that's why he's trying to be more transparent but maximizing public trust is about you know give people their own keys and then you know that's going to hold the company accountable and then if you know twitter messes around they can go pop over someone else but they don't lose all their stuff but how would you possibly move Twitter stuff to some other network though, because if they like if you uh, yeah. like say let's let's say if someone did something like that yeah. and you had all your posts on Twitter you've yeah. been on Twitter since two thousand nine and you know Minds uh, gives you the ability to port your shit over to there how the fuck would you ever wind up doing that I mean if if it gets integrated then all the posts can just be signed and then. If it gets it, integrated. Yeah, but that seems like that would be very beneficial to Minds, but not very beneficial to Twitter. Because at the end of the day, Twitter is still a company. But th but think about the we're a company. I mean, and, Right, but and it would don't... be beneficial to you. You're far smaller. Right. Like but... How many users does Twitter have? Oh, of course. Hundreds yeah. of millions, right? Right. But we actually, there were people on our team 
who asked the same question to our team. Why would we um, give people the ability, you know, why, why would we let people, you know, they're just going to go take their mind stuff and go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So it's not like just us. It's not. Right. But you're a very small company, relatively speaking. Like when you first came on the podcast, mm-hmm. I think you had two million. Mm-hmm. Is that what it was? Somewhere right. around there? Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. And now you're more than double that. You're mm-hmm. five million. But relatively speaking, when people start talking about social media networks, minds does not get into the conversation as mm-hmm. a mass you know, d- distributor of information. Right. And, you know, now Rumble is. Yeah. And, and you know why? They've spent a lot of money. Oh, God, they've spent they've a spent lot of money. So, they came to me with a, a fucking shitload Same of Same thing happening with Substack. They're spending millions of dollars yeah. bringing over top talent. It's not sustainable. So, but now. I wonder about I Rumble. Hope, I mean, yeah, it's I just. Want, I'm like, how much are you guys spending? It's a lot of fucking money. Right. Because they have Steven Crowder on there. They have Russell Brand. They have all these people that I know they had to fork up some serious cash. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I think that they're they're well bankrolled. That's for sure. I uh, guess, <laughs> and it also seems to be working in terms of like just generating m- more publicity and and users. And I know there there was something that was on Rumble recently. I forget what the video was, but it was over two million views. I was like, that's significant. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, it's great for these options. It's very validating. Regardless, see, I'm in it for the actual speech <laughs> i want them to succeed i want that no, I to happen you so um you know i i, I just w- the, the just while it's in my head because i i forgot to bring it up before about substack so elon actually accused them of stealing twitter data what do and, you mean? and that was part of his justification for um blocking them how do they steal twitter data so i mean th- that's a very strong word that he used and I don't know the de- all the details, but but what what I know is that so Substack is largely powered by Twitter's API, which means you know API application programming interface. It's basically a you know a, de- a developer tool set so that websites can integrate with API Twitter API. You know you see login with Facebook, login with Twitter. Mm-hmm. You have tweets embedded yes. in in Substack. Like the, the the API is how you facilitate that, and Twitter you know has been uh, locking down its API. Because it's been, quite frankly, probably costing them millions of dollars. Because you know, when when Substack makes an API call to Twitter, that costs Twitter money. So Elon's perspective is okay. We're hemorrhaging money. I'm I'm speculating. I don't want to speak put words into his mouth. But I think that he's locking down the API because it's costing them so much money to be supporting all these websites that aren't paying them. Right. So you know, Substack, the authentication and sign up uses Twitter. The social graph and recommendations uses Twitter. So Elon's tweet said that, you know, they've been trying, they've, they've basically been abusing our API to bootstrap their own social network. And because Substack just came out with a social feed called Notes. Right. And how does that work? It's, pro- it's just a news feed. Can you show me that? I want to see what it looks like. What uh, Substack Notes. Because I just heard about this. And I don't, I don't want to stain this table. I just, oh, it's good to stain coffee. it. Right, good. It's good. It gives it life. This is a relatively new table. The old one we had, the old studio, was covered in stains. Uh, introducing Substack Notes, unlocking the, unlocking the power of the subscription network. And so, what is this? So th- there's a like? screenshot down there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to sign in. No, just do continue. Yeah, there it is. 
Okay. So it's just a news feed. So it looks exactly like Twitter. Right. Literally. It has a heart, it has comments, and it has uh, some sort of a repost, but it's not a square. It's a circle. Um, it's basically a copy of Twitter, just like uh, the Truth Social Network is, right? Yeah. And so so to, to dig into that a little deeper, like, so you know Mark Andreessen. Mm-hmm. Love that Brilliant dude. guy. I love that dude. I mean, he's super, yeah, he, he's, he's one of the most legendary tech investors of all time. He's so smart. And he's so smart. And so he is, a, he owns, I, I don't know what percentage of Substack, but Andreessen Horowitz is one of Substack's primary mm. funders. Okay. Um, and Andreessen Horowitz also put hundreds of million into the Twitter deal. So... There's a and Elon and, and Andreessen are, are probably super tight. And so what's happening in in um, in another tweet, Elon had someone had said you should buy Substack, and Elon responded, "Yeah, maybe I will." And this was like two months ago. Mm-hmm. And so they've been pursuing. It seems as though they've been in negotiation for Twitter really? to actually buy Substack. I mean, Elon said it, and he's also super tight with Mark Andreessen, and so. Probably Substack thinks it has a certain valuation. Elon wants to get it for less and was trying to say, listen, you are reliant on us. Right. You're We're whole- helping you grow and then I'm thinking about buying you. And I'm thinking about buying you. It's costing me more money the more time that you're doing this. So what I'm going to do is cut off your API access and show yeah. you who's daddy. Ooh. <laughs> right. So, I mean- who knows? Because I don't think that just speculation. I, I don't think that he wa- like was out this to censor. And unfortunately, Elon has successfully enraged both mainstream and now independent journalists, which is not. I, I don't think he intended for that to happen, but that's what happened. I mean, the, all the Substack journal, you know, that's one of the best places for independent journalism. Yeah. And now they're all pissed because you know there was a period of time where their businesses were screwed. Well, up. not only that, it was the very people that were using Twitter to put out these Twitter these Twitter pages. So there were all the emails that showed the collusion between the intelligence agencies and the former heads of Twitter. You know, like this was the same guys, and they were publishing this. Yeah, and like they all thought they were friends. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, as soon as the bunny got involved, you know, that's where things get weird, right? Yeah, and so I think it kind of is a, a, a corporate um, negotiation byproduct it mm. seems like that's kind of what happened because I, I i don't think that he intentionally wants to to hurt those, those what guys. i like about elon is he will change course if he doesn't if people respond in a negative way they don't like it they get upset he's like okay we won't do that and he's publicly said that he would do that and i like mm-hmm. that he does do that he just he's flexible in that regard and he's not he's not completely dogmatic about these ideas yeah, he's like doing it live. Yeah, he really is. <laughs> yeah. Fuck it, we'll do it live. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he really is, which is kind of interesting. And it's also part of the fun of the chaos of Twitter under him. Mm-hmm. You know that you've got this one incredibly intelligent, super eccentric guy who happens to be one of the richest people on the earth, and he decided to take over the. And he did it very specifically because he thinks it's a threat to democracy that having this censorship and having this this control over the access to information and the narrative, which is what you're what previously you were getting. And it's like, we see it with YouTube, we see it with uh, these other social media networks where someone has a problematic opinion, they get shadow banned and ghosted and they, 
their algorithm gets fucked up, their access to new subscribers gets fucked up, and it's there's real world consequences. There's also demonetization, mm -hmm. right? YouTube's got this really sneaky thing that they do where they just demonetize things, and so you self censor because you don't want to get demonetized, and. You know, that's that's not good it, for anybody. It is an existential threat having social media platforms censored. I mean, th yeah. that is how humanity is is educating itself. Right. So, but it's also a new thing, right? Because these things didn't exist two decades ago. So now all of a sudden we have this new platform that really should be considered like a utility. And I think your access to it should really be just like your access to the Internet. Mm -hmm. Like if, if we just decide that someone was problematic and you can't you can't have the Internet anymore. Holy shit, that would freak people the fuck out. Well, it should freak you the fuck out if you don't have access to YouTube. It should freak you out because that is the primary way where people share video mm -hmm. and post video and post their opinions on things. Yeah, it gets hairy too because Twitter's still playing this game with other countries, which we've, we've basically said, and actually we're dealing with this right now, I'll just call them out, Germany, Germany has this, horrible piece of legislation called the Network Enforcement Act, which is similar to the California thing I was mentioning. And, you know, they want you to take down stuff at their request. And we're just not going to do that. So yeah. so we've made that decision. It, and it, Twitter's doing that for Twitter's Germany? doing that. Yeah, Twitter. And, so and, and they're Germany, also doing it with India. Really? Yeah. So if India posts something negative about the government, the government could say, take this down, yep. and Twitter will take Twitter it down. Twitter has these interstitials, like so, like kind of different content policies on different states. And with, so Pakistan, you know, there's basically a different Twitter in all of these different countries. Is that because it's the only way they can be on in I those countries? I mean, that's the argument is in, in that, but it's the same argument that, you know, Google goes through when they're like, should we go to China? We want to go to China. We have this Dragonfly project. Are we going to, you know, let's, let's work on them behind the scenes. What is Dragonfly? It's like Google's, a, I, you know, I, I, I don't know all the details, but it's their kind of China uh, project. They're, they're, their project to get Google accessible in China and have it be okay with the government. I was uh, friends with someone who was an executive at Google back in the day, and what she described to me was that if they didn't, and they were in negotiation and doing business with China, and she said, if we don't do this, they're just going to copy it. They're basically just going to rip off Google. And so we're in this battle to either appease them with their rules and, and, and have it go over there and have, you know, some things like Tiananmen Square be censored where you can't access information about Tiananmen Square. And it's just like, well, it seems to be a situation where we kind of have to do that or they're just going to copy Google. Yeah, I don't think that that's just a game that we're not interested in playing. I think that we're just going to stick to the laws that we're required to obey. And if other countries are going, I mean, we've been banned in China. We've been banned in Vietnam. We had a huge wave of like, this was one of our largest. We got like half a million users in like two days from Vietnam because there was a revolving door between their government and Facebook. And you know, the, the journalists of Vietnam found out and we, we got this huge wave. And then mm. short, shortly after, Vietnam banned us. Um, and, but, you know, they, people still can use v VPNs at their own risk there. I just feel like it's a losing battle, constantly catering to all of these different countries and their censorship laws. It feels like just sort of a waste of time. And you can, we can bypass all that with decentralized protocols. Mm -hmm. And so... 
you know, but I, I, I get it. It's, it's not easy, especially when, you know, a company could go bankrupt. And if you, you know, if, if you lose all your German users, you know, if Twitter gets banned in India, like that's a major, pro- we're not dependent on those users. So, and I appreciate that you're yeah. not independent. I think what you do is very important, and I'm glad you're out there. I really am, and I'm glad there's this option. And I'm glad you guys have these, like, rock-solid ethics in regards to that. It's just – it's very important, and it's – I wonder, like, at scale, if it's – like, if Minds – if we come back and do another podcast in two years and Minds now has 50 million or 100 million. Let's make that happen. Like, what happens then? And is my – I have to be honest. I only got on Minds a couple times after you gave me. Uh, a you know what's in. funny? You know your your first time sharing Minds? No. It was in like two thousand nine, or no, maybe like two thousand eleven, and you shared this viral video that was going on on Minds of this like quantum levitation disc. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's like if you look on, on if you just search like quantum, you know, superconducting levitation mm-hmm. <laughs> and you had just seen that. And, you know, this was way before we knew each other and you had just shared that. So you sure it's me. I'm almost positive. I'm, yeah. I bet it's not. No, I had friends message me. They were like, dude, Rogan just I shared bet it's this. Not. Video. Really? Yeah. I bet it's a fake me. No. I think you got duped. Really? Let's go look at it. Can, can, can we find it. it on your Twitter? Find yeah. How is it? How would it be me? No, because you just shared a link to a video. You didn't know. You, you just oh, thought. You just so thought, I shared it on Twitter. You shared it on Twitter. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. No, no. You weren't on. You weren't a user. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but that makes sense. Yeah, I think. So I shared this thing, and the shing, this thing originated on Minds, and then it boosted Minds. Yeah, How many it was, just, it was just like one of those like crazy levitation videos where it's just like, what the hell is going on? Like mm. this magnet is just levitating. <laughs> right, right, right. That sounds like something I would post. Yeah. Um, so like what is like what's do you have like the number one post ever on minds? Like how many people does it reach? Um, I mean, we yeah, we have we have posts that have hit oh, probably over a million views. And is it because someone's sharing it on other social media networks like I did? Yep, for sure. Yeah, and that's what's so malicious about these algorithms getting clamped down is that, you know, everyone's in in survival mode now. And even Twitter doesn't – what we learn from the algorithm is that the link – you know, links are punished, all links. If you post a link on Twitter, it's it's not getting – elevated in the algorithm and that is because they want to keep people on twitter really yeah and we always speculated this because you can just tell you post and the reach of of posts with links is is way down and so we have historically have obviously used that i mean the problem is that for the way that big tech emerged there was nothing else there was nothing to throttle them right so now they can just throttle competition by not allowing links to outside sites to be um, elevated. Mm-hmm. They have. I'm not saying they don't have the right to do it, but I think that it's just it's just not helpful for the open web. I think that people need to be able to post links and not get punished for it. Yeah, for sure. I didn't know that that was even a thing. Yep, that's one of the things we learned. You know, obviously they're they're favoring native video, native content. They're mm-hmm. favor, favoring Twitter Blue, which is again some of it's some of it makes sense, but you know. Don't don't piss off the journalists. It's not a, no, not it doesn't a good, make sense. Yeah. It's not smart. 
But the link thing is really weird. So uh, I, I could understand encouraging people to post links, but how would you do that? And then I, I don't, I mean, not encouraging people to post links, but per posting it native. I can understand that. That you'd want, like, just put the whole article on Twitter or just put this on Twitter. Yeah, and it is a better experience typically to use the native functions of the app. It's smoother. It right. looks better. But, but it's so easy to just say, uh, you know, like if I find something interesting on YouTube, uh, oftentimes I will just say, oh, that's a fascinating video. Let mm -hmm. me just post that real quick. Yep. And then the problem with that sometimes is it posts it with the clickbait headline, you know, and then people think it's yours, that mm -hmm. you're saying that, you know, libs get owned, you know, like that kind of shit. Yeah, like, one word, two, two of the words in caps. Yeah, so now I'm like, <laughs> ah, fuck. Well, maybe I should, like, post yeah. it but put my own thing on it instead of right but like you don't want to have if you want to share a video from youtube want you don't be click, click, well you click. don't want to have to download the video and then upload it like first of all no. you can't do that you're not supposed right. to do that <laughs> right so the only way to do that is to screen capture it yeah or get an app that the that ripper downloads app. yeah mm -hmm. yeah so they, the, all the sites do that i mean we we when we were first starting we because we have like over a million followers on our facebook pages and we would drive crazy traffic back in the day just posting viral videos and cool articles and you know we had journalists on and we would post their stuff and we would so much traffic like you know millions and millions of of users a month hitting the site and then facebook was just like and then mm. boom and you know but we always knew that we didn't want to be you know it was a nice to have thing right. so we it, the reason we do what we do is cuz we didn't want to be relying on them but it just goes to show how much power they have. I mean, they can literally wipe out jobs and people's livelihoods and companies just overnight. Yeah. That's what happens. Yeah. You know, if you're not favored and you don't play the algorithm game, it's just me. It's so sickening and like worrying about the algorithm. It's like people are just worship this thing and you kind of have to for survival. Because yeah. you're trying to succeed. But then, you know, what are you really spending your time doing? It's an interesting uh discussion in the stand-up comedy community because a, a lot of comics are trying to uh, game the algorithm and you hear these discussions like i was talking to a friend of mine that was uh, telling me about these comics at the cellar that were having this conversation where they were trying to figure out like this is what you do to get the algorithm this is what you do to, to go viral this is what you do and, and this comic who's like an established comic is like this is fucking gross i don't want to have any part of this like why just just make the best shit you can make like don't do this and mm -hmm. so you, then you see people that become sort of uh captured by this idea like you see there's some guys that are, that do it where it's like it's an art form like mr beast he's figured out how to do it in a way that's like really kind of fascinating because he really knows what words to use what images to use like and there's a there's an actual science to it Oh, yeah. He is a weird and interesting guy. Like, watching his interview with Lex, mm -hmm. the way that his brain works, it's like everything is being processed through how does this play to the algorithm. Yeah. And it was it, – it, it slightly unnerved me a little bit. I think that, you know, I, he just seemed like I, – I got this sense – and he seems like a great guy and, like, super smart and, you know, obviously. But – it seems like he felt like, oh, I don't even necessarily know if this is worth my time to even be doing this interview right now because I don't know how many views it's going to get. 
and I don't know like how it's going to play to the out. Because his time is so – he knows how much he can make every second of the day yeah. spending on a video. Mm-hmm. And like so if he's going to go do an interview with another smaller YouTuber, like that's impacting his – his rev right and i just I, I think that's dangerous to to let that control the content that you create it's backwards like you you were the, like the comic was saying it's like do yeah. do the thing that you do as as best as you can possibly do it don't make the algorithm like i guess you could if the algorithm is your thing if that's what you want to be the passion of your like i guess maybe some people do love it but yeah it seems a little bit inverted it's a little bit inverted, but that's also, I mean, he does so much good, and it's so interesting to watch him do the thing. I mean, I, I get it, because, like, his content is fantastic, so what he's trying to do is maximize the reach of his content, mm. and so it's just just clever. Oh, yeah, the, the blind, curing the blind people, I mean, that was, that we need more of that. What's wild is he got hate for that. Right. But what that, was the hate specifically? Who gives a fuck? Yeah. But it's just funny because you cannot do anything that won't piss someone off because people are engaged in recreational outrage. And that's what they're doing. And they're trying to figure out an angle. Oh, this rich guy's doing this thing and really shouldn't even be rich. No one should be rich. Oh, you're just trying to do this to make yourself look good. There's all these angles that people will take on things, which is their prerogative. And in a world of free speech, the the beauty of what, you know, is the nature of the First Amendment is that you should be able to express yourself. And so I su- fully support those cunts to rag on him. For How many blind people have you cured? I mean... I like- mean, they're allowed to have their perspective on it. And yeah, I mean, obviously that's the take. Like, you're not doing anything, so shut the fuck up. But... People who aren't doing anything are also allowed to chime in on stuff. Yeah, yeah. And they can look petty and they can look foolish or they can have really good points, you know, and that makes you – but that's the beauty of what we have today. There's so much dumb shit involved in social media and there's so much bickering and hate and there's so many people that are addicted to it and it's elevated their anxiety level and they're all on medication now because they're fucking tweeting 12 hours a day. There's a lot of that going on. But if you – can figure out how to manage yourself and manage it. Now we have access to information at an unprecedented level where like something like the Restrict Act gets picked apart by brilliant people on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on everything. And that's so valuable. So we have to figure out a way to preserve that. And it's, it's, it's to have this kind of thing today it has never existed in human history. Never. Not one time has there been a time in human history where a person could tweet about a thing and it could be shared by millions of people and all of a sudden the conversation about this subject changes. So you have a public narrative that's being pushed out forth by these propagandists and then someone comes along and says, actually, this is what's really going on. And Twitter will fact check it and then people will chime in. And this is a beautiful thing. I mean, it's it's really an amazing thing. So with all the bad that comes with social media and all the the weird shit that it's doing to kids, it's just not good. But yeah, the the government is now using it for you know propaganda purposes 
as well. And everyone's playing the yes. game now. Got yes. The government's in it. Yeah. I mean, the, the Twitter files by uh, Lee Fang um, exposed how the government was, you know, pushing propaganda. So it's not only about taking down, but also right. pushing out. Yeah. So, you know, they're in it. and They're in it not mm. just that way. I guarantee you they're in it the same way Russia's in it and these uh, Eastern Bloc countries that have troll farms. The idea that the United States is not engaged in something like that seems to me to be pretty ridiculous i'm sure they are oh yeah they are they are i mean we it it, it's it's on record now and when you see like someone will post something and then you'll see someone has a very specific response and then if you take that specific response and google it you'll see hundreds of verbatim exact responses from people that look like real people you go to their site there's a picture of them smiling there might even be a picture of them with some fucking ai generated kids mm -hmm. it's, it's really weird when you you look at someone's feet like i've i've uh, looked at someone posting something controversial and then look at someone who has what seems to be like well this is a suspicious take and then i'll go to their page and it's all suspicious takes like that is, and occasionally the retweets and the retweets of things that go along with the narrative that they're posting, but it seems like very calculated. And then you realize, like this, this person has thirty followers. This is not even a real person. Yeah, human detection is is so key now because yeah. there's going to be you know armies of bots, AI bots, fully autonomous are coming. They're mostly here, and we just need, you know they're not going away. I mean, there's right. gonna, there's going to be and there's going to be mastermind sort of engineers who have these armies that they control and they're it's actually entertaining like there's gonna the ai jre you know that's getting hundreds of thousands of views i mean that, that that's like sure they, they're blowing up so like yeah. that's a whole thing for that person and there's gonna be value and there's gonna be negative stuff that comes from it but you know i just i just love being able to watch it play out and just everyone's at war mainstream media at war with independent journalists i mean where do you think it goes do you ever like try to extrapolate do you ever try to like look at it like from where we're standing now with the uh, the chat gpt influence the ai influence all this different stuff all the deep fakes do you ever wonder like where how does this play out i think that it's it's similar to what you were saying before, just like the transparency is just increasing so, so drastic. Even just thinking about how transparent everything is now compared to 20 years ago and what we're seeing play out real time. I mean, we're seeing Seymour Hirsch, who's a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, at war with the New York Times over Nord Stream mm -hmm. right now. And that's just happening in front of us. Like right. the, the U.S. government is denying that we did Nord Stream. Seymour Hirsch thinks otherwise, and you know that is just. What is the New York Times take on? Oh man, if if we can if we can bring this up, it, it, um, I don't I don't want to uh, abuse Jamie's powers, but um, there they on Easter, their post of the Nord Stream situation was so egregious. They said it may be best that the truth is not revealed <laughs> about this. Like it's. Why? I mean, because they probably think nuclear warfare is on the table. If I mean, it would be a false flag. Look at this. Suspicions multiply as Nord Stream sabotage remains unsolved. Intelligence leaks surrounding the sabotage of the pipelines have provided more questions than answers. It may be in no one's interest to reveal more. What? 
That's wild. I mean, you literally are in the business of revealing more. I mean, that's what you're supposed to be doing. If if the United States government is engaging in something that is potentially dangerous to the human civilization because we can start a fucking nuclear war because of this, you, if you don't report on that, that's going to allow more of that shit to take place. I just, I can't believe those words were printed and they're still there. Like, how how can that be where we're at? I, You know, in terms of where it's going, like, Honestly, I, I think that we are on the precipice of a whole new paradigm and level of access to information that mm. is just going to be like a, a, a total shift in, in humanity. I think we're getting closer. And I, and I mean that with regards to classified information coming out, corporate secret information coming out. It's, it's, it's happening. Yeah. I mean, it's hap- the Twitter, what we're seeing from the Twitter files, which Elon just just did. He became a whistleblower on himself. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, th- the amount of information that that gave us and the in- they were denying it for years mm-hmm. and gaslighting everybody. It's so egregious and dark. It's so dark and they don't have any punishment on the table, which is really crazy. You know, when you saw Vidya like testifying and she had to kind of admit things that they've said in the past that were not true. It's really fascinating to watch that because the ramifications of that, they're so, it's so dangerous. It's so dangerous to limit the truth and deny the truth. And when you're something like a social media network that is basically the town square for the world and you're doing that and you're doing that based on your ideology and you're doing that based on input from intelligence communities, it's, it's it's social engineering. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. It is their guide. They want to guide us in this particular way. Yes. And because they they don't think we can handle it. Right. Which maybe we can't. I don't know. I mean, if, if the truth about all of the deep corruption came out to the extent that is real, I, I mean, it could cause it could cause wars. It could. But but at the same time, I, I actually don't think that I think that ultimately, you know, the best thing for you know, America is for transparency to kind of happen and for us to fix it. The problem is the idea is that we're in com- competition with China and China does not allow that. So we will hinder ourselves and our ability to compete with them. That's the argument. And it's not a good argument, right? Because this country has a very robust belief in free speech. It's one of the reasons why, you know, dissent is tolerated. It's one of the reasons why we can get away with what we get away with. It's like we have protection in this country, and it's really the only country that has that. And the idea that in order to compete with China, we have to become China is fucking gross. It's not true, I don't think. I don't think it is either. I think the, the competition that we have because of free enterprise, free speech, like, the reason we have the best businesses in the world is because of that. Yes. It wouldn't be allowed to happen in other countries. They just scoop them up and then, right. you know, distort the the vision. So, which stifles it's innovation. a national security risk to not be transparent with the American people. You know, this all this banning crypto, restrict act, all of this stuff is is devastating for innovation. I mean, that yeah. that's the that's the edge of of innovation. So, right. I mean, yeah. These these lawmakers don't understand the technology. It's hard to understand. It's hard to, to understand. Yeah. They don't even care to understand it. They're not even reading the stuff. 
They're just saying whatever they think their constituents want to hear or whatever the public narrative is or whatever the government is pushing. And they just sort of like pile on and, and repeat the propaganda. I mean, rather than banning Bitcoin, the U.S. government should be stockpiling Bitcoin right now. It is a national security risk to not do that. Because what if all of the other countries do that? They're all moving. De-dollarization is occurring. Brazil, you know, Russia, China, Brazil, they're all starting to trade, you know, outside of the petrodollar. Yeah. And if and, and Bitcoin adoption is occurring in these other countries, I mean, so even as a hedge, we, you know, our country should be stockpiling. What if all these other countries and it blows up and it becomes the global reserve currency and then the U.S. is just out of luck right. because we didn't participate because we were trying to be you know, too heavy handed with it. Yeah. It doesn't mean that like the Bitcoin, Bitcoin and the dollar can, can coexist and, and should coexist. Like it's not, it's not necessarily one or the other, but I mean, yeah, we just, we, we, we just need a new wave of, of politicians who, who are going to oh boy, open up. Is that going to happen? I don't know. I doubt it. Um, I have to take a leak. Yeah. Let's come back. Cool. So this is kind of wild. Jeremy Corbell just sent me this. He said, um, he asked the project manager for the government's largest UFO program, if our government has in possession, downed flying saucers. Said for the first time being interviewed on camera about this, he answered publicly, and the answer was yes. Oh, shit. What the Are fuck? we back? Yeah, we're back. Here we go. What does that mean? I just sent it to you, Jamie. Let's watch it. Just see what you th your take on this. Because I, I know that you're fascinated by the subject, too. In, in, this is a bizarre subject when it comes to disclosure. Let's hear this. I don't hear anything. Maybe it's nothing, you know, but what, what do you know about the phenomenon, about UFOs? What can you say for sure? Maybe it's nothing, you know, but what do we know about UFOs and where does this go? As I said, what we know is what we gleaned from all of the data that has been discussed. And, you know, that the... UFOs are real. We, well... I mean, they tell me... Yes, U UFOs are technologically sophisticated. They have uh, performance characteristics that are, you know, the, the five observables are, are sort of well documented. Um, but they also have a very profound... Uh, effects on some people, or they have superficial effects on other people, but they do have, have effects on people. So going forward um, is is to combine both of those, is to study UFO performance, and and you know the hope is that out of UFO performance can come theoretical physics, which will eventually translate into engineering. Does our government have downed UFOs from unknown origin that they've been trying and are trying to reverse engineer and exploit those technologies to understand the physics and understand that technology? Do we have that to work with? I can't talk about that, but the answer is yes. So this is from Weaponized, uh, Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp's podcast. Just that answer alone. So who is Combe? Who is he? Well... He is, according to Jeremy, he is a program manager for the government's largest UFO program. Which 
is that Arrow? I don't know. It might be. Um, Jamie could find that out. Yeah, I mean, and I, the type of whistleblower protections that are available, like I hope we can expand that so it's not just for UFO-related stuff, but also for, for surveillance, like, yeah. to, to protect the Snowdens and Assanges right. of the world. Like we need, we need that, and that's why I think that this uh, office is going to be successful. It's because like you can't the the people who are doing the the black projects need to have reassurance that they're not going to be screwed after coming forward. And so, you know, this the, this type of legislation is, is so key. Um, I had an exchange with, with Mellon recently, and he actually told me to, uh, to mention this. So he was saying that Lazar should come forward through Arrow. Because... Well, no. Sorry. Oh. Um, so, because why not? I mean, if he was involved, then he could participate... Yeah. In, in that organization and and put it through because that's the channel that we have now. The idea that someone is going to come out and say we have downed UFOs, but we can't talk about it. Like, What does that mean? Do you have something that was unidentified that is from some other state, some other government that you found and it's a, it's unidentified? Or are you saying you have something from another planet? There's two. There's two very different answers. Right, because the the Chinese balloons included yeah. in this as well. So right. if that gets downed, you know, that's that constitutes crash materials. <laughs> right. Like, what is a U? It's unidentified. What does that mean? But are, are you saying that you have something that you re, you're back engineering from another country, or are you saying you have something that is of some completely unknown origin, like outside of this world? Well, I mean. Based on the testimony from, you know, whether you're talking about Roswell or particularly the one that I've been just loving deep in the rabbit hole is the Virginia incident. That's the Brazil. Brazil. Yeah. I mean, that is completely mind blowing. James Fox did an epic documentary about it. um, Moment of contact. And, you know, the. There are military whistleblowers in his documentary which say that the U.S. flew in and and transported. can't believe I'm about to say this, but bodies and materials like in this documentary, there's aliens running around all over Virginia, Brazil. And these three, these two sisters and their friends saw it. Um, the the doctors saw it. They did x-rays on it. Like they talked to these doctors and they did x-rays on the bodies. They did x-rays on the bodies and they had to demolish the whole wing of the hospital where it occurred because the smell was so bad that, and this is this was reported independently from the guy who saw the crash. Everyone said that it smelled like ammonia and sulfur, just like, and it, they couldn't get it out of their system for weeks. And so, you know, there's there's record of the hospital, you know, doing this, like this uh, uh, renovation, and I don't know the the speculation was saying that it's like maybe like a skunk or something like a skunk. Type smell. Yeah. Well, no, but that's like a skunk. You know, animals have reactions when mm-hmm. they're in a, a scary environment. And but, that maybe these aliens have a similar reaction to like a skunk. That's what everyone said, that the smell was so de- so horrible that they couldn't get it off their bodies. They had to demolish the whole wing of the of the hospital. And like the weird thing about So Virginia is very similar to Roswell in that like when you go to Roswell, it's like UFOs 
you know, it's a tourist attraction. Right. So you go to Virginia, there's like huge UFOs everywhere. It's like the culture at this point because the whole city was basically locked down. They had mil- like hundreds of people all over the city that um, saw military checkpoints or know somebody who was directly involved. And like, you know, I approached obviously agnostic on what is happening, but it's it's like you don't have hundreds of people saying exactly the same thing just out of nowhere. I mean, it yeah, it it could be some sort of government op- but it was like the mayor of our did you see Moment of Contact? No. Oh, dude, it's so wild. It's so good. It's so well done. He's such a great filmmaker. Is there any evidence? Um, yeah, there's 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 lots of evidence. I mean, like so all of the I mean, there there are hospital records. There are um there you you mean like in terms of physical. physical. Well, James says that there is and that he's, you know, on top of it to try to find it, but I mean, evidence is a spectrum. So, you know, physical evidence, you know, people died. Um, so this guy, um, Cherie, so, so they confronted this guy, Eric Lopes, who with this other, this guy, Cherise, Carlos, I think Carlos Cherise, they basically were police who like captured, apparently, allegedly one of these things. And this, this, they talked to this guy's sister who died like a week after grabbing this thing. And, you know, she has the death certificate and like the cause of death was unknown. He had this like super weird infection. And so, you know, I would consider a death certificate, you know, based in, you know, he was who he, he was a he, he was a state worker and he died for super bizarre reasons. So he touched he grabbed it. And then apparently there was like he got a cut or something infection and he died. They they confront the other guy who was driving the car, Eric Lopez, and he threatened to kill them when they go on his property. It's so crazy. Hmm. Um, but but it's more so like it seeps into the when something seeps into the culture that deeply, like it did in Roswell, and you know like it did in Brazil. I just I tend to feel like there there's something there because of just how overwhelming, you know, so many people saw the craft, so many people were involved. It's just, it, 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 it's either the most ridiculous hoax of all time, which why would you even, like, who, who would do that and why? And so it's like when you're, when you're talking about Occam's razor, you know, the simplest is the most likely answer. I, I feel like Occam's Razor in both cases of Roswell and Virginia are that something actually did happen. I mean, yeah, Roswell has some weird, weird stories about bodies, you know, bodies in little caskets and stuff like that. But it's just like there's so much attention to these things and there's so much hype that I always wonder, like, how much of this is just people feeding off of the narrative and the stories and the fact that this is like an exciting thing to talk about and how much of it is that they want it to be real? I don't think any of these people want it to be real. I mean, half of the witnesses will will only um, go on video with, you know, voice modulation and from behind. Isn't that possibly because of ridicule? Yeah, but but why? But they they don't even, 
Yeah, because they don't want to, but they don't want to do it. Mm. They're just not interested in coming forward. So I feel like if that was, I mean, that certainly is the reason for a lot of people in the UFO world Mm -hmm. that they can just milk it and they get speaking gigs and they were contacted and, you know, it's a life. Yeah, there's a lot of that, obviously. And that's something that whenever there's like a speculative phenomenon like that, it just seems like you're always going to get a bunch of bullshit artists. But, you know, the types of specific evidence that I'm interested in seeing more of is like, okay, so if the military witness claims that, you know, U.S. Air Force came and transported something, like there are probably records somewhere of these flights, so like that's but that's the type of thing that's just inaccessible to us. Yeah. So but you know, it probably exists somewhere and you just need a mechanism to dig that up. And so hopefully hopefully Arrow can get down to it, but it's this guy uh Sean Sean Kirkpatrick I want to say is 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 running it, but you know, uh Kirsten Gillibrand uh was grilling the uh, some military officials over the lack of funding. They had requested that it gets far more funding. It's only it's getting like 11 million a year right now, which I think for government ops is you know that's some it's somewhat modest for the magnitude of of what this really needs to be. But you know, yeah, there's clips of her, you know sh- people in Congress want this. What do you think is going on? I think it's happening. I do. I, you know, I also want it to be happening and I I, I recognize that urge in myself, but I mean, I've been, I'm, I'm, I have no interest in falling for bullshit. I, 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 I don't, I mean, I'm looking for holes. I want holes. I don't want to, you know, be, yeah, that would just be embarrassed. It's just, there's so many different cases and there's so and, and it's becoming legitimized now. I mean, they changed the whole word to UAP because of the stigma. So we're seeing official acknowledgement and progress. Like government is investigating this now. They're compiling the information. We have the best, you know, who you've had on, the best military witnesses, Air Force pilots. Like these guys are not fucking around. They're just yeah. not. Do you th- I mean, I'm certainly you don't think that Ryan Graves or Commander Fravor are, are full of it. No, I don't think they are. Ryan Graves doesn't have like a, a physical interaction with them. He basically, what he said was they upgraded their equipment and then immediately they started seeing things that are defying what they understand to be the laws of physics and what are currently known uh, methods of propulsion and the way these things are able to operate and stay stationary in 120 mile an hour winds and things along those lines. He he was pretty convinced that this is something outside of our realm of understanding. And then there's the Commander Fravor instance, which is very bizarre because it's multiple witnesses, video evidence, um, the, the, the equipment that they use to detect it, all of it rings true. It's, it's all it all works correctly and that this thing was able to go from 50,000 plus feet above sea level to 50 feet in less than a second. They don't know what the fuck it is. They don't know why it behaved the way it behaved, the fact that it was blocking their uh, radar systems, the fact that this thing... 
and knew where they were going to go. Yeah, I went to their cat point, which is uh, the, their uh, predetermined location where they were supposed to meet up later. Went immediately to that. The fact that this thing um, operates with no vis- visible method of propulsion and that it moves at these insane speeds that would turn human beings into jelly if they were inside of it. It was a, it was a biological entity inside of that. Which makes you think, like, okay, are these drones? Are these, like, super sophisticated drones that some black ops project's been working on for a long time? Mellon thinks that it's a post-biological probe um, and that the gray, you know, the the traditional kind of gray, because that's what they were described almost exactly in Virginia. Um, The drawings of it, the renditions of of what the witness saw looks just like the gray, except it was brown with red eyes. Um, which is a little bit strange, but um, you know, well, you, post- also, you also have to think like, why would we assume that there's only one version of this thing? If we, you know, look at the cosmos, b- b- that this gray alien with the black eyes is the only one that exists. Like, w- wouldn't there be some sort of parallel evolution? And I mean, my take on where human beings are headed seems that we're headed into some sort of an integration with technology. It's already integrated into our lives to the point where it's inescapable. And then what if it becomes physically integrated? And what if when we're looking at declining in um, uh, sperm counts, the, 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 the human beings are becoming more feeble and weaker, and there's all this weirdness with gender like in in our culture. And as technology advances, this obsession with gender and the lack of gender and gender being a social construct and the decrease in testosterone and penis sizes and actually, didn't they say penis sizes are going off? Isn't it kind of weird that the, weird. the transhuman, you kind of have the transhuman movement, but then also the transgender. Yeah. And it's like both, tra- it's like both sort of this divergence well, one of my concern is that it's just like a decaying of biological relevancy and that we're eventually going to succumb to this thing and we're going to become a part of it. And that's what we're seeing when we see these essentially genderless, muscleless creatures with enormous heads, that that becomes what all primates eventually evolve to and that we're thinking of technology like it's not life. And that maybe it is life and maybe it's just a different kind of life and we're creating this kind of life and we will eventually be that kind of life. Yeah, I think that within the transhuman path, there's multiple branches. So it's not as if it's all sort of this degradation, Um, though I, I, I typically like I'm in no rush to integrate, you know, Neuralink. But if I had Alzheimer's and... I was faced with that. See, that's everyone can be a skeptic and say, I would never put that in my body until the moment that, you know, some incurable disease is suddenly fixed by it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Paralysis. That's going to be a big one. People that can't use their limbs and all of a sudden now they can. And then the thing is, it's going to if if it does do what Elon thinks it's going to be able to do, which is radically alter your access to information and change your ability to process information, and it's going to give the people that adopt it a significant advantage. Not just a significant advantage, but an almost insurmountable advantage without it. And then everyone's going to do it, just like how everyone wears clothes. Someone invented clothes because it's way better. You can survive outside you know, with the fucking 
down parka on and and wool undergarments and you could you could live in a way that you could never live without it so it's much more sustainable to use clothes so everybody eventually put on clothes i mean clothes are a form of technology we've we were all wearing them you can't go anywhere without seeing people in clothes and that sort of like it is a an invention hmm. And we don't think of it that way. We just think of it as clothes. But it's a, a method that we have devised in order to walk on sharp surfaces and in and, and inclement weather. And we protect ourselves physically and biologically from that. If that is just one step in the human's invention that sort of removes us from the biological limitations that we currently have, that's going to keep going. And it's going to keep going in the end point seems to be integration. Yeah. Clothes as technology. Like that's so important for people to recognize because you just, you we, we, we don't consider them the same right? for the most part. And like, so do you know the uh, first use of the word computer? Mm -mm. Guess. Um, what year? What do you yes, want to guess? What year? I'm going to go crazy. Let's say 1500. Oh, pretty good. 1613. Oh. And it was to refer to a human who conducts computations. Oh, so we called computer. A, a human was the first use of a word computer. Somebody mm. who's like just doing math. Mm. And then it just escaped mm. from there. Yeah. So we are. And, you know, there's going to be a, a fork in the road where... See, like, I just would, Neuralink needs to be open source. I don't know how, like, putting something in my brain that can just, like, switch me off that I can at least unleash some computer scientists on to audit it, make sure, like, okay, is this going to do anything to me? I mean, that, that's the thought process that I go through when I ask, like, would I integrate? Um, I would probably only do it if I had to. But I, I mean, do you think there's going to come a time when you have to, or someone of your generation will have to, or well, the have next to generation. better not be have to. Well, I don't. Not I want to say like even physically forced, but in order to compete and to exist, like phones. It's you don't different. have to have a phone. It, you don't have to have a phone. You, you, you could be that dude who lives in the woods and you know chops down trees. But, but do you think that that? is going to be the same decision. I, I feel like a lot more people are going to resist biological integration, even though phones, you know, they're on our bodies. Mm -hmm. they, they are biological extensions, mm -hmm. sort of, but, you know, they're actually having biological impact. You know, your foot, your, your leg vibrates. Like, there's mm -hmm. definitely energy exchange, but I don't know. I mean, I, I don't envision myself just, like, buckling to some cultural trend. I don't think it's necessarily just a cultural trend. I mean, you really, if you want to compete in the workforce and you don't have a smartphone, you're at a significant disadvantage. But you don't have to physically integrate to get access to that. Well, yeah, you probably do to a certain degree. If you're going to be able yeah. to do the stuff that Neuralink's potentially capable of, but like, I yeah. I mean, but are you saying that you would because of that competition? I'm not saying that I would. I'm saying that everybody would. I think if it gets to a certain point, look, it took a while before cell phones became basically universal and across all cultures. 
I mean, sure, you can go to some hunter-gatherer tribes and they don't have cell phones. But you don't want to live like that. But it's so much easier to make the decision to get a cell phone mm-hmm. than get an operation. Yeah, but what if it becomes a thing that becomes very easy to acquire? But the other thing is it's also there's there's a haves and have-not a- aspect to it. Because the people that are early adopters, if it is effective and it does work, you will have a massive advantage over everyone else. If it really does change the way your mind is able to access information and the way your mind is able to process things. And, you know, imagine having the computational power and the access to information that ChatGPT has, but instantaneously in your mind. That seems to me where it's all headed. And it just doesn't seem like it's going to stop. It seems like everything keeps moving in this general direction of integration. Agreed. Yeah, I don't think it's stoppable at all. And it's more so how do we guide it so that it isn't just total dystopia. Because there there are different versions of this technology. And similar to this whole issue with, like, you know, freedom-based social media versus, you know, big tech. Like, it's the same dichotomy. Mm -hmm. You know, there will be super advanced um, transhuman technology where the creators of it actually want to be as ethical as possible. There's already those AI camps that exist. And so if the AI is getting integrated with the hardware that's coming in, then, you know, we just need to be cognizant of of, of that distinction because there's no we don't want to stop it. I mean, it's that it's it's amazing what's like there was an instance with ChatGPT where a dog, this guy, his dog was dying. And he was like, what, what am I going to do? The doctor's telling me there's nothing we can do. He takes the blood test from the doctor. He's like, give me the blood results. Feeds the specific results into ChatGPT and asks it some questions about, like, what could possibly be going wrong here? You know, give me, some, give me something to work with. It, it gives him a couple of options. He then takes that back to the doctor, and they found it, and the dog's fine. The dog was going to die. The dog was, a, it was anemic. What? And so what was wrong? I don't remember all of all of the specifics, but it was it was a, and he was in, the dog was anemic and there was some something but he he successfully used it to help the doctor diagnose and That's and, wild. and it actually fixed the dog. So, you know, at this point, I mean specifically with uh medical applications, so here it is. Started dog in the proper treatment. She's made almost a full recovery now. Note that both of these diseases are very common. Uh, Babesiosis is the number one tick-borne disease. Oh, it's a tick-borne disease. Mm. And IMHA is a common complication of it, especially for this breed. So that looks like an Australian shepherd, I think. I mm-hmm. think. I'm not yeah. sure. Um, it says, I don't know why the first vet couldn't make the correct diagnosis. Either incompetence or poor management, GPT 3.5 couldn't place the proper diagnosis, but GPT 4 was smart enough to do it. I can't imagine what medical diagnostics will look like 20 years from now. Wow. Will you say that? Pull that a little bit, a little higher up there. The most impressive part was how well it read and interpreted the blood test results. It simply transcribed the CBC test values from a piece of paper and it gave step-by-step explanation and interpretation along with the reference ranges, which I confirmed all correct. Wow. That's pretty wild. That's pretty wild. 
So even as a supplemental tool for doctors to be referring to when they're coming up with their own, yeah, well, you know, it's a helper. Well, the question is, like, were you, are you going to need doctors? Because it seems like you're going to need surgeons, but are you going to need general practitioners that can disseminate information based on test results when they're not even that good at it? And they, they have, like, 15 people coming through their office, and everybody's got five minutes, and... You know, and they have student loans to pay, and the and insurance all they have to pay, are eyeballs. They, they have, have human eyeballs. eyeballs, and also all they have is their what they've absorbed in terms of the amount of research and information they have, and that varies widely between the doctors because some doctors are more studied and some aren't, and some are specialists and some aren't, and some have you know done an incredible amount of work on certain subjects, and some of them are completely ignorant of it. You ever try to talk to a general practitioner about vitamins? They don't. They, they, oh, you don't need vitamins. You just need a well-balanced diet. And you look at this fat guy who's telling you this. You're like, the fuck do you know? You don't. You don't. I mean, you're literally talking to a person that hasn't had an education in nutrition. And they're, they're, they're telling people. I've had conversations with doctors like that. And I'm like, well, that's pretty ridiculous. What you're saying is patently untrue. Yeah. I mean, it's going to potentially become a liability for to go with the human. Because right. you know how if you're yes. if you're stu- if you're studying an MRI or something just with your human eyeballs, mm-hmm. you know AI can find the most minute little trace yes. of something that you could so easily miss. Yeah, and so that's just I mean that's going to be a, a revolution for for uh, lifespan. Is ChatGPT four now available to anyone? You have to pay. You have to pay, but yeah. you, you can pay and get yeah, access like to it. it's like 20 bucks a month or something. But for anyone? Yep. Oh, wow. They did remove some uh, abilities, features, upgrades recently. It got too busy. Oh, I see. I don't know what that means and how they can do that or... Processing. Turning it on and off. How many people are using it? You do have... I mean, there's, there's occasional just like total garbage. And it's so confidently... <laughs> spit out which you just really it's why it's not ready for for prime time but what kind it will like i I don't know i i asked it about me just to see what it would come up with Mm -hmm. and it just came up with this like right wing piece of shit (laughs) problematic anti-american i mean communist it said that i was like founder of it it said a lot of 90 percent correct but then it said that i was with this other company that i just never even heard of is that because it's getting the information from websites that are incorrectly saying these things we don't know they so the they... system could be gamed in that way you could put up some sort of like factchecker.org mm. bullshit website when you put out a bunch of propaganda and it sucks that information off the web and uses it at least to flavor an answer yeah that's a great point to be honest i wouldn't be surprised if that becomes much more of a problem and that's why we need to know what are the data sets that these tools are scooping from it's like right. what what are, are, so you're scanning the whole web for all the world's data and, and images and, and use of language, but like <laughs> you're pulling in from you know misinformation.com. Like right. what? <laughs> right. Why are you using that? And right. we don't know what they're using. Right. So well, that's probably going to be better with ChatGPT 4.5, right? So what you're dealing with is like a constant improvement upon this resource that has in a relatively short period of time, revolutionized the way people get access to answers. So the word that is an interesting word, which is going to become more talked about, is alignment. Have you heard this? No. 
So alignment is the phrase used in, in AI research to kind of, kind of understand how aligned this technology is with humanity. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and it's going to be abused for the same, you know, the same way that we see ChatGPT becoming biased already. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can ask it to make a joke about... I took this screenshot off of a ChatGPT ad for... Safer and more aligned. Aligned. And I was like, what there does that mean? Aligned with oh, how really? you want to use it. <laughs> yeah, it's all about alignment. Yeah. Announcing ChatGPT4, a large multimodal model with our best ever results on capabilities and alignment. Yeah, what is that? So it sounds very similar to like you know creating. I, I think there, there's validity to it. We we need to be concerned about alignment. We need to be concerned. You know how is this technology, um, you know, helping or or hurting humanity? How, however, the problem is that different people have very different perceptions of what is good and what is bad for humanity. So, you know, the people at OpenAI are telling it not to make a joke about Biden, but make a joke about Trump. Mm, yeah, they, they've, they're already kind of creating these rule sets right. of like what is acceptable and what's right. not acceptable. You know, Elon comes out. You know, we need Truth GPT the fully uncensored version, mm. which is going to come out. And then that's going to be chaos because, you know, you'd be able to, oh, how do I, um, you know, create this virus? Right. And How do you I know, make a bomb? Yeah. Yeah. Granted, you can already do that in searching. So, right. you know, ultimately models are going to become more personalized. You you would hope that you would have the ability to control that yourself. You know, how how censored of a version do I want? Do I, do I want the, the safer version? But... You know, I, I and then uh, the Max Tegmark and uh, his his institute and Elon signed it came out with this whole thing to pause AI. Do you see that? Yes. Which is surprising, but also you know they're they're concerned, rightfully. We don't know because it's becoming more autonomous and it's it, it's potentially. Um, yeah. So, so here's something that Jamie just pulled up. Elon Musk reportedly purchases thousands of GPUs for generative AI project at Twitter. Reports say it's a commitment to AI despite signing cautionary AI pause letter. Well, I don't know exactly what that means. Like why Yeah, so basically that? they're pursuing their own because this right. so so there's some drama involved with Elon and OpenAI because he invent he put 100 million into the original. <laughs> And then, so they were a nonprofit in 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 their uh, first years, and then they realized, okay, we need more money. This is we need supercomputers. So you know, this is not going to be a cheap endeavor. We need you know billions of dollars, and so they now they have a uh, sort of hybrid model where there's a for-profit entity and a nonprofit, and they sort of help each other. And I think there was a Semaphore article on Elon's uh, trying to take over OpenAI. Which I, I'm not going to say that it's like the the full truth of it. I think we we don't know. But so Altman and, and Elon were uh, working together early on, and then Elon I think tried to like take over. Not t not I don't even know if it was a hostile takeover, but try wanted to lead th the effort, and it didn't work. People didn't want it to happen, and so you know they went off and did their thing, and then Elon left, and I think that. You know that must be frustrating to him. He put a hundred million in, and they to 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 
do open AI, which you would assume means it's going to be open source and mm -hmm. ethical. <laughs> yeah. And then they keep on going. They become the biggest app in the world. And, you know, the, the original investors are kind of like, okay. <laughs> right. Um, you know, that's not cool. And so, you know, I'm, Elon should, Twitter should start their own AI. They have the, some of the best training data in the world. It's just the, the most accurate real-time language use in humanity. So they're probably going to come out with something cool. And then you've got a bunch of other folks. There, there's an um, open alternative chat GPT called Colossal, which is decent. But they, they're still reliant on some small parts of, of chat GPT. But, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, with, with, with what we're seeing, there's, there's more than meets. There's a lot of business drama happening behind the mm. scenes, you know, with the subsect stuff, with the open AI stuff. And, yeah. you know, I think that I, yeah, I just don't buy into the whole secrecy is going to save us mentality. And I don't I, I don't see open AI like saying, oh, OK, at this point, we now believe this to be safe enough to release. I just think that they're going to keep hoarding. And when when really they should give us a path to when it's if we're going to be relying on them they're getting so powerful so fast yeah they need to give us a path to when it's going to be transparent and also why are you doing all this bias and i i think there should be rev share baked in for humanity because like why not have rather than have the government fund ubi why not have the you know billion dollar tech companies that are taking everybody's data give everybody a little a little rev share on it. If they're using your data and it's actually being processed and used on a regular basis, give everybody a little bit. You can still be rich. You can still, you know, become yeah. a huge company. I, 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 in my well, opinion, that's your <laughs> mindset. Yeah. yeah. But I, to be honest, it's, it's not, it's not just me. Like that is what is going to be smart for them. Like you, Elon even uh, is doing monetization on Twitter. They're working on it. They're trying to do encrypted messages, apparently. You know, ultimately what's best for the, the community is, I think, better for the corporation long term. Unless they want to fight this war, which they're going to, and maybe they do, but... Fight this war. This war for, you know, to be the top AI Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, it kind of makes sense, but it's a very good point. Like, where are you getting the data that's allowing you to do this? It's it's basically everyone's data. It's everyone's data. Yeah. It's just the internet. Yeah. And who owns the internet? No one owns, because the internet is an open source, decentralized protocol. But that's it seems to me like these. this is the first rumblings of cyborgs. This is the, the first steps that is going to force our integration. Because if this does become something you can access instantaneously in your mind, with some thing that you put on your head or something you put in your head. I just, I don't see people not taking that. What does that look like in your, in your visual system? So you, so you integrate oh, no. Neuralink yeah. and it's, it's in there and cause we kind of have like, you know, our internal eye, mm -hmm. mind's eye. I don't know what it is, what, what, what we, whatever it is, what we see when we dream. Yeah. It's something, our eyes aren't open, but we're seeing. Right. So what? But what would that even feel like to ha to search the internet through your brain? Like, are you seeing something? Like, do right. you feel it? <laughs> I think there's probably going to be multiple versions of it. It's going to get better and better, which is why you a don't want to be an early early adopter, 
but maybe you do because that's those are the people that are going to be able to get access to the second version of this and the third and it's going to be become progressively more and more powerful i really wonder like when we're talking about aliens we're talking about these creatures maybe that's a natural course of progression for intelligent life that intelligent life eventually realizes there's limits to biological evolution but technology allows you to jumpstart and pass bypass all those limitations radically quickly where the the versions that are created by human beings once ai is able to take over and make better versions of it it's going to make a better version of itself it's going to continue to evolve to the point where i mean you you really become something that's completely different than a human being yeah, and it's a question of, you know, do I want to live? You know, that that's the question that we're going to get faced with. Like, mm. do you want to keep living or do you want to die? And you got to pick if you're going to integrate or not if you want to live because our right. our bodies just can't handle it. Do you want to be in a Norman Rockwell painting or do you want to be in a Stanley Kubrick movie? Yeah. How do you want to live? And like for what you were saying about, you know, what what will where where is the disclosure process taking us like i think that it, there will there is real possibility for social unrest because and 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 the the global economy this is most likely the reason that they're taking their time letting information out because religion um the global energy economy i mean if these things are real and they're powered by some you know propulsion system with a new form of energy that is, you know, near limitless or whatever it is, then what does that do for the economy? Suddenly oil, all the top largest energy companies in the world are just irrelevant. Right. Um, And then the religion, the religious stuff is like a whole other level of the equation. But like people, people will have concern and they should. And they should. Because we might not be people very much longer. But I th- there's a cool book uh, called AD, After Disclosure, where, which kind of does a, a thought experiment about what would happen. So it's a fiction book about what happens if, you know, the government comes out and has an official press conference and tells us what's going on. And it, it's, uh, it's cool. It's by a really smart uh, researcher. And how does it play out? Um, I didn't read it. <laughs> <laughs> but there, but I love Richard Dolan who wrote it, and I've watched like uh, hundreds of hours of his of his podcast. He's 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 a great researcher. I need to read it. I'm uh, maybe I'll listen to it. I, I yeah. If you had to speculate as to like imagine if there is some large worldwide wholesale disclosure of information like. If invasion is is imminent, or if some sort of um, undeniable event takes place, how do you think that plays out? But the the weird thing is is that if Virginia happened, mm-hmm. if you're living there and you're seeing that, like this is it, right? But that's a the, crash, right? What if it's a landing, right? Like on the White House lawn? Yeah, yeah. I mean. They have buzzed the White House. Yeah, in the fifties. Um, in the fifties. Yeah, yeah, and so, but yeah, there's something going on where they're, um, you know, in some senses being bold, but they're not being bold enough that it 
for some reason is able to take hold and just the, all of human society says, okay, we can't not talk about this anymore because <laughs> what will happen now is there will be all these, you know, New York Times article, Pentagon leaks, and mm-hmm. it's like, whoa, can we, like, stop and talk about that for five minutes before we just go back to life? Right. And we just keep going back to life and forgetting about that. Well, don't you think there's, like, an information overlord, overrule, um, <clears throat> overwhelming aspect to this? That it's just overload of data and you, you're just constantly inundated by new stories and new things. And there's so much to talk about and think about that it's very difficult for one thing to stick. Unless it's, like, a nonsense thing that people get excited about. You know, like like this Bud Light nonsense. Like, you know, that Dylan Mulvaney is in the, the spokesperson for Bud Light and now people are shooting Bud Light. And, I'm, you know, my take on it has been like, yeah, I think that person's a silly person and a tension whore and a, a, a fucking weird person to be a cultural light, lightning rod. They're obviously just a narcissist. But why aren't you freaking out about all these other things that are happening? Why, why are you not th- freaking out about the Restrict Act? Why are you not freaking out about what's happening with chat GPT? Why, why is everybody freaking out about this d- dumb thing with Bud Light? Yeah, there, I mean, there has we're, to be room for paying attention to just silly, crazy sure. drama. And we're always going to – it's, it's good to a degree. Right, but why for, is that primary? It, I don't know. If, do you think it's primary? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I think there's way more people concerned with Bud Light than they are with uh, the Restrict Act. You have to, like, force that into people's minds. I think there's a, cer- a certain percentage of our population where their minds just gloss over. Like when you start talking about uh, open source and you start to exactly. – it, a lot of people just like mm-hmm. – they, like, they don't have the – whatever it is, the software to handle that. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think it's, it's coming and we just need to – we need to stay on it. I mean, yeah. we – what else matters? Like, I don't want to die without knowing. Mm-hmm. Because, think, like, if that information exists, right. and we're living in a world right now where there are people in, you know, D.C. or, you know, elite figures in the government who do, it's basically multiple civilizations coexisting. Yeah. There's people with access. Because when you digest certain new breakthrough information which you know humanity has done repeatedly that i think that changes who we are it changes how we interface with the world it changes all of the decisions that that we make and so if this is we know that we're living in this almost like information caste system where there are people with access and people without right and so that does exist whether that includes you know actual uh, aliens, I don't know, but it it exists for all kinds of issues that absolutely matter to our existence, could be dealing with energy technology, could be dealing with um, corruption, you know, major geopolitical events that would totally change the traje- tra- trajectory of the world. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like not comfortable not knowing. Right. And having these people that I don't know who they are and why do they get to know? Right. It's not cool. No, it's not. <laughs> but it's kind of I mean, that's always been the story that 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 has taken place. Like that was the I'm, I'm sure you're aware of um, the uh, Jackie Gleason story. 
Right. That Jackie Gleason was friends with Nixon. Yep, They're drinking, like, and Nixon says, hey, you want to see some fucking crazy shit? And he takes him to uh, whatever Air Force base where they have a downed UFO. And uh, the, he has access to, to see this, and he sees alien bodies. And that this is something that the government has always had. And they've had this thing. And Gleason, you know, there's speculation as to whether or not he really did have that conversation with Nixon, but there's no speculation to the fact that he built a fucking house that looked like a UFO after that happened. And that house is, you know, you can look at it. it. looks like a flying saucer house. Yeah. And we just don't... I mean, the laws that we need are, are laws for more information. What do you think would happen if human beings absolutely knew that we do have UFOs from another world that we're back engineering and we're trying to figure it out, that we have been in contact with alien civilizations. We are being monitored. You know, the UFO folklore is, of course, that once we drop the bombs, that all of a sudden they start showing up, which totally makes sense. Like, okay, there's a detection that these people, uh, these, these beings on this planet, they've entered into this new phase of understanding of technology, and they can harness the atom, and they use it to, of course, they use it as a bomb. Now they're using it as nuclear power, they're using it in, in all these different ways, and we have to make sure that they safely transition to the next stage of evolution without complete total destruction which would send them back to at the very least the stone age and then you're dealing with a you know tens of thousands of years of you know reinventing everything and getting back to the state where they were at now and give them another shot at doing it again so maybe that's why they showed up and maybe that's why they're monitoring us and that's why they're here that it's a bridge and they're just here to make sure that we don't fuck everything up so that this is a very delicate and precarious process that exists with all intelligent life forms in all, all throughout the universe. And that we're at a stage just like, um, you know, there's, there's speculation and there's people openly discussing that some primates, lower primates, have entered into the Stone Age. They're using tools. They're using things, and this is very similar to what they think happened to human beings, and that over the course of millions of years, they'll eventually become like us. And that this is just a natural process that exists where intelligent life forms learn things slowly at first, and then eventually incredibly rapidly, which is what we're seeing now with AI. It's totally logical. I, I, I think that... Totally logical. And in the way that we interface with species below us is you know some sometimes we're fascinated by them and want to learn about them and study yeah. but but you know other times we're like eh, a squirrel okay right um, exactly. and so it's kind of both yeah. of those things like you know people polarize the the conversation they say oh they'd never be interested interested in us that's stupid of course they would yeah, be that's just, Neil deGrasse Tyson's just like we take. are yeah of in course. everything of course and but at the same time like they probably also have other cooler things to pay attention to. Maybe there's other way cooler species than us to pay attention to. Or, you I'm know. sure there are, <laughs> but, but this is the transition. So if, if I was an alien life form with superior intelligence from some other galaxy or some other part of the universe, I would 100% be concentrating on integrating this new species into the galactic network, if there is one, you know, and then you know, helping them get to this next stage. Because maybe... I mean, maybe life is fairly rare. 
maybe intelligent life is much more rare. And maybe this thing that we're, we're seeing is like these rare nuggets of some very precious thing that exists in the universe. And so they, they seek it out. And they recognize that this is the thing that brings them to the ultimate next stage. Yeah, it's rare, but also potentially fundamental. And right. so, so basically consciousness as the core right. of all things, yeah. all matter. You know, that, that guy you had on, uh, who I actually um, connected with at one point, uh, Philip Goth. Mm-hmm. He's really interesting. He, he's a panpsychist. Yes. And those, you know, actually, Annika Harris, Sam Harris's wife, wrote a, a cool book, which I also haven't read, but I know about it. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's called Conscious, and it's all about panpsychism, which is cool coming from her because she obviously is, like, rigorous. You know, if you're going to be mm-hmm. married to Sam Harris, you probably need to not be full of woo. Um, and so she kind of explored... Um, and I've, I listened to some podcasts with her explaining it. And so this is a real thing that's that's getting taken seriously. It's not necessarily like um, physically provable, mm-hmm. but like it, you can't actually deny that it's a possibility that consciousness is sort of the engine of everything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, philosophically, when you're arguing against like materialism versus fundamental consciousness, like... The materialists are, they kind of arbitrarily try to point to when consciousness emerges. It's like, it, it, but how can you pick that point? Like, because if all matter is evolving and like eventually becoming complex enough to, you know, have conscious properties, but still, show me the exact time when you consider something conscious. Because right. there's there's plants, there's all kinds of, you know, microbes, like, right. you just keep going back. Is it when it's reactionary to its environment and, and trying to preserve its own life? Or is it when it's interactive and conscious to the point where it's communicating? Is that when we decide that it's conscious? Is it when it's able to manipulate its environment like we are? I mean, do we, we obviously prioritize our consciousness above orcas because we, we, what we're doing to orcas is fucking horrific and accepted in some strange way that, you know, you can go to SeaWorld and watch something that might be as smart as us do tricks for fish. You know, like, why are we willing to do that? That's clearly a conscious thing that has a language. And yet we're like, yeah, 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 stay in the pool, bitch. You know, it's, it's weird what we do. And what we prioritize as consciousness, we, we seem to have like a caste system of our own where we decide that we only favor things that are able to manipulate their environment. Yeah. I mean, I, you, but that's way beyond, I think, you know, orcas like that's so maybe maybe to other people they don't consider orcas conscious. But I feel like that's like a certain type of person that really hasn't looked into this yeah, they're <laughs> at all. Clearly I mean, conscious. They're clearly conscious. And then, I mean, but going back to microbe. I mean, I, I would say that a microbe is like obviously conscious. I mean, like, but that's just where I'm at in the conversation. Maybe like, viruses are conscious as well. Right. I mean, there's obviously evolution in viruses. And it's it, all just it's very rapid. You know, like, look what we saw in terms of variants from COVID, like the, these vaccine resistant variants that popped up like almost instantaneously. 
you know, that these viruses recognize where immunity is and they figure out a way to move around that immunity and become more contagious. There's also, a diff, you know, the words we use matter, like life and conscious are a little bit different, you know, because something would be considered alive probably earlier than most people would consider conscious. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the panpsychists like to um, talk about experience. You know, is is the matter having any sort of an experience? Mm. And sometimes that's a little bit more digestible for people. Well, isn't that just an evolved level of consciousness? You know, we have single-celled organisms. We consider them alive. Yeah. But they're not multicellular organisms. I mean, I, I tend to lean towards it being fundamental just yeah. because I can't place a spot on the emergent continuum like it's right. just too ran- I'm not gonna pick not you're not gonna make me pick <laughs> right there's not like a switch that gets hit or a, a you know a, a turkey tester that pops out boink you know like <laughs> oh it's ready right yeah and it's the same thing when we look at you know a human uh, the um being born and like being in the womb like you mm-hmm. know people arbitrarily saying oh this moment that right. stop right how do you know <laughs> Don't, don't, don't know. We're not going to play this, like, number of days game. Right. Like, it's, when does the soul enter into the fetus? But that, And that's why uh, Chris Rock and, uh, and Louis also has a great bit about that, where it's just like, oh, you know, you are you should be able to kill. You know, be, like, kill it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you're killing. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, Bill Burr has a great bit about that as well. Like, I support you, right, but I also think you're killing a baby. And that's yeah. you would think that if, that just feels like a more healthy place to be having the conversation. Well, yeah. it's just very uncomfortable for people, and right. especially people that support a woman's right to choose. They don't want to think of it that way, but it's undeniable. You know, I had a conversation with someone online once a long time where, where Richard Dawkins was saying that there's no difference between a, a human fetus and a pig fetus at, at a certain. I'm like, what are you talking about? That's a ridiculous way to look at it because a human fetus has the potential to become a human being. That could be your neighbor. It could be your best friend. It's going gonna, it's gonna to turn into a person. If someone doesn't intervene or if it doesn't die, it's going to become a person. Pig fetus is going to become a pig. They're, they're very different things. You could argue that a pig is intelligent because they are. They're calculated. They do things. They're smart. They're smarter than dogs. You know, is your dog conscious? I think my dog's conscious. I have conversations with him. He knows when it's time to eat. You know, he knows what I'm saying when I ask him if he wants to play. He, he knows. He's, he's fucking conscious. He's just not at the level that a human being is. But that's also because he doesn't have the hardware. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, with the, pro, like, the pro-life, um, pro-choice debate, it just feels so shallow, similar to the climate change debate, where it's like, Obviously, human life is precious, and we should preserve it as much as is humanly possible. And guess what? Yes, if you choose to have an abortion, yeah, it's killing something. You're killing something. Yeah. You know, whether or not people should have the legal right to do that in certain circumstances, I, I'm not someone to answer that. But, like, it would be so much more of a healthy conversation if, if we could agree at least on what we're talking about. Right. Which seems that people are trying to deny that it's life, right. which is not reality. It's And with climate change, it's like— who cares if it's, you know, global warming, blah, blah, blah. Do you, do you think pollution is good? Right. Right. If, right. If, if pollution, if we all agree pollution is bad, 
Right. Then we're getting the outcome that we want, which is less pollution. Yes. But we're not worrying about is the like based on, you know, millions of years. Like, who knows? Like, right. So it's like I feel like some of these debates are just arguing about the wrong things. And it's just we need to reset some of these conversations to just find the place where we can agree on one thing and then yes. make progress from there. Because I think that a lot of people who are who are pro-abortion, like like Louie and Curtis Rock, who made those bits, which are, you know, kind of crude bits, but they're at least honestly acknowledging what's going on yes yeah but that's the purpose that humor does serve in those ways is it, it makes you laugh at something that is kind of like you, you leave there going has this got a fucking good point it was funny but there's actually there's some truth in that and if if it didn't have truth in it no one would be laughing and that's the test of it all it's like it does it resonate with that part of your mind that recognizes these inconsistencies and there's a there's also another problem with both the uh, pro-life, pro-choice, and also the climate argument, that they become embedded in ideologies. So they become these dogmatic things that you cannot question. If you are a part of this group and you want to be accepted by this group, there's essentially two groups. There's one group that believes in guns, but also believes that babies are sacred. It's like very strange, you know, they're, they're in general pro-military and pro-killing bad people, but also they think all life is precious. Protect babies with guns. It's fucking, it's wild, but it's also, you know, if you don't give up your gun, people with guns will take your guns and they'll have all the guns to make sure that you don't have guns. And it's just like, Jesus no, it Christ. No, it is a, a thought virus cult to think that you have to have your identity sort of align with this cluster of beliefs this inter yes. interse everything intersects and so like i need to do that that i mm -hmm. feel i honestly feel bad for people who find themselves in in that spot well but, it's uh, it's brilliant people this is the problem like thomas Sowell had a great point about that that intellectuals will oftentimes compartmentalize and ignore evidence in, in like the, we're talking about brilliant people that we rely on to be the voice of reason or the voice of, of, uh, of intelligence and fact when it comes to certain particular arguments that they'll, they'll align with only the facts that support their case or support their position. And if it doesn't support their position, they'll conveniently ignore it. And, you know, we see that with almost everything. We saw that very clearly with uh, the, the discussion about COVID and whether or not metabolic health is important and whether or not other treatments are important or whether or not you should accept the narrative that there's one binary argument and that there's one answer and that this is the only answer to solve this problem. And clearly that's not the case and not true. It, it, was, it was represented across like so many different demographics, some, so, many, so many people that were similar but did different things, had better outcomes. So there's, there's also this weird thing that human beings or almost automatically do is they try to find the most convenient answer and an answer that supports their pre-existing conditions or their pre-existing positions rather yeah it's weird how covid seems far away mm -hmm. <laughs> now but weird. like for history books are going to look at that as you know the the largest scale psychological experiment on humanity that's ever occurred. I mean, sure. literally billions of people 
behaving. I mean, you know, it, it used to be like Stanford Prison mm-hmm. <laughs> Experiment, you know, the elevator experiment. Mm-hmm. You know that one? Mm-hmm. Where like people, everyone in the elevator is turned the opposite way of the door. And then people who walk in just turn and face the other wall just because everybody else in the mm-hmm. elevator is doing it. I mean, billions of people doing that yeah. type of behavior now. Yeah, it's, the, it's a problem with human beings that we, we're tribal and we want the respect and the acceptance of our tribe. And if our tribe is, he- even if it's illogical, is heavily leaning towards one position, we feel absolutely compelled to do what the tribe is doing. And we, we support each other. We talk about it. We discuss it. And we find rationalizations. It's hard, though, because you can't know everything and you want to be able to trust experts and like right. defer to scientific consensus, which yeah. isn't even really shouldn't not, be a thing. <laughs> well, no, it's not even scientific consensus. It's scientific no. consensus along people that are willing to accept right. the, the, the proposed narrative by these very corrupt organizations that you could follow a very clear paper trail of money and influence that led them to these decisions. Like the lab leak hypothesis is one of the best examples of that, where there's literal email, actual emails that show people thinking that it came from a lab, and then there is discussion with other people that don't think it came from the lab, and then there's money that gets exchanged, where they get these grants, and they've changed their position. And it's very weird. And no one is discussing it in any mainstream source where they're saying, hey, we've got a real fucking problem with this, and this is the problem, this is how it happened. It takes independent journalists and people that are very brave that, that get censored, they get removed from YouTube, they get banned from Twitter, and these are the people that came out and had a problem with this. And a lot of them have rock-solid credentials. A lot of them are established doctors and and scientists, and they're saying, like, here's the problems, and why aren't we addressing these problems? And these people are getting, you know, these pejoratives labeled on them. Like, they're anti-vaxxers, they're conspiracy theorists, they're fools. You know? It's, it's very strange. But we did, we did watch it. We did witness it. And some people learned from it, and some people developed a, a new healthy sense of skepticism about public narratives and other people are just they're still they have their heels dug in why don't you believe in science like what 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 science are you what are you talking about science is data i don't believe in data are you looking at all the data because i bet you aren't let's discuss some of that data and then when you see the panic on their face when they, they they're forced to discuss this data and they're forced to discuss like these inconvenient realities it's fucking fascinating yeah and it's just another example of the lack of access to information because China is just you know keeping it all super tight mm-hmm. you know because obviously if if the pandemic spawned from them that's going to have geopolitical consequences yeah but it's a perfect example like that just ripped through this planet mm-hmm. and we don't know what happened and there are people who know more than we know yeah about what happened and we're just, you know but but they you know probably national security reasons from all governments on lock. We got to, we can't let this out because, you know, it, it could cause unrest or. Well, how about that fucking New York Times article about Nord Stream? It's the same attitude. Like maybe it's best that we don't know. Did you see the clip of Biden saying that, oh, we will put an end to Nord Stream? I did not. Oh, my God. So this is in the original Seymour Hirsch article, you know, basically how the U.S. destroyed Nord Stream. And there's a clip of Biden pre-Nord Stream 
saying it will be, you know, we're going to put an end to Nord Stream. That guy must be such a fucking nightmare to those people because he's so compromised, you know, wait, his mind, the way. A, a nightmare to his, his team? Yeah, to you, the people right. that don't want that out there. Oh, right. Yeah. Because he's just, he's so mentally compromised. Like, he, he right. you can't trust him. He gets in front of a microphone. Let's hear what he says. Like, Russia invades. Uh, that means tanks or troops crossing the, uh, the, the border of Ukraine again. Then uh, there, will be, uh, we, there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2. We, we will bring an end to it. Jesus Christ. What do, what, how, will you, how will you do that exactly? since the project and control of the project is within Germany's control. We will, uh, I promise you, we'll be able to do it. Oh my God. What a fucking nightmare he must be. And it, you know, for, from the New York Times end of things, like they're scared, people are scared because if it, I mean, that is an act of war. And it seems like what Seymour Hersh said seems to be true. I mean, he has all the documentation. He knows what happened, when it happened, who did it. Yep. And if he's he's Seymour Hersh, he's not a fucking moron. He's not just some random person. He's an he's eighty of, plus year old Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. He's one of the best journalists that's ever existed. Exactly. And for for this, I mean, it's basically the most recent false flag that. Yeah, has occurred if it's true, right? And be, because, you know, that 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 was providing energy to Europe, right? I mean, people's that had serious effects on how much people were paying, yeah, for energy. Serious effects. Serious effects. Yeah. So it's scary. Is and, it completely destroyed? Yeah. So it's no longer providing. Right. That, that was the second pipeline, I think. Right. There was two. There's another one that still does. True. Then what I heard recently was that. Saudi Arabia is buying Russia's oil and then distributing it to Europe. Oh, great. So they bypassed it. Right. Right. Smart of Saudi Arabia. I mean, when you have a president that's saying something like that and then it actually happens and he's like, we don't have anything to but do with it. But this is actually one of the things that makes me not believe in aliens um, is that un unless the current administration is just so in the dark about what is going on on our planet, like I would think that if the government was actually in on this and aware, they wouldn't be going around blowing up pipelines. Like, wouldn't the wouldn't uh, government relationships with aliens mean that like they have some semblance of understanding of um, how to how to behave? But do you think it, that that's the level of understanding and information exchange they have, or do you think it's more like? chimpanzees in the Congo being aware of researchers watching them because I would imagine it's but, more like that but even still that is so if they know I doubt Biden has been you know clued in if it is real but about UFOs about UFOs well I it seems that Clinton and at least Obama they that got, was and and Trump even Trump talked about it they tried but it seems like they failed um, based on yeah, I, I, I think I. Trump said that he knows some things, but he can't talk about them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then famously, like Obama, and you know, this is the one thing that is still funny about Jimmy Kimmel, which you know his level of funniness has 
has degraded, but he he will still he grilled Obama and Hillary Clinton about UFOs, mm-hmm. which is just a great thing to do, which we can all agree on. But don't you think that that was previously discussed? Because when you do one of those shows, they break down what you're going to talk about. Yeah, but I mean, why would they agree to it? I because mean, they have a patented way of dismissing it and, and answer. But Obama said, like, I cannot reveal right. more. I don't know. I, I think that they're aware. It se- based on their behavior, it seems they're aware and interested in the subject. You know, you've got you've right. got Hillary walking around holding the UFO book, which we have on on camera. Um, what with UFO Podesta. book? Uh, there was one. There, she was photographed holding a, a, a well known book about UFOs, and you know, because Podesta also has a an interest in it. But I mean, yeah. But to to get back to would Biden engage? Would we be engaging in all this warfare if we knew aliens were kind of observing us? Right. It just seems it doesn't make sense. I, I mean, it, not that it needs to make sense, but if I were in office and I knew that, you know, there, there were these craft that, like, were watching us, we didn't really know what was going on, like, I would be focusing on that and trying to, like, clean up, you know, make nukes safer, clean up the planet, like, do things that... And even go talk to Putin and Xi about what's going on. God, yeah, uh, but it doesn't seem like you're ever going to stop this control of natural resources and this uh, this grasp of power that human beings have. And if you're engaged in that, and that's a gigantic part of the economy, of international relations, why wouldn't they continue business as usual, even in with the knowledge that UFOs exist. I think I feel like it's a risk. It would be a risk to our relationship with the ETs. What if we don't have a real relationship? Well, with but even if we don't, if we if the behavior that we're exhibiting is just reckless, blowing each other up, destroying the planet, that's going to not make us look good to them, in which case maybe they would start messing with us. Uh-huh. I don't know. It just seems like it doesn't. If there's a higher level of like beings that are higher than us, I would not be risking playing these earthly games. Right, but how do you stop this? If you, if the whole purpose of this, like this war machine, is this constant try attempt to control resources and consolidation of power, which it seems to be, they this is the game that they're playing no matter what. And there's a lot of money involved in this game, and there's a lot of influence in this game. This is this is the game that the United States plays. But no matter what, they're going to stop playing this uh, game because there's a space daddy out well, there watching yeah. us. I think that it's the, the the space daddy is potentially the one thing that could make us stop. But make it hasn't. Us, right, which makes me think that there is no space daddy. I it makes <laughs> me think they don't have a relationship with space daddy. <laughs> This is what I think. I think they're just doing what they've always done, and maybe in relation, they're just watching all this shit go on, and they don't have real answers. I think they're they're risking our our planet by, you know, if the if aliens were going to get hostile, I feel like they would much more likely get hostile to humans who could potentially fly out into the universe with nukes and you know spread our devastation. But that's very far in the future. We don't really have that uh, that capability right now. I would imagine that if they're watching and they're observing that this is business as usual for the human race, they would if they were going to intervene and step in, they would step in if we employed nuclear weapons and mm-hmm. we were really at the risk of destroying ourselves. This is like a little slap in the face on the schoolyard. This is not 
as horrific as Hiroshima and Nagasaki. But imagine you're in office and you you get verification. You know, you get the physical proof that you need to know. And right. it's super classified. Would that not compl- I mean, would that not change your whole reality and view right, on the world? But what do you do with that? Do you go to the military industrial complex? Do you go to the pharmaceutical industry? Do you go to all these people say all the, all these people that are polluting rivers and all the the, the fucking the East Palestine thing? Do you, you say, hey, this can never happen again because UFOs are watching well, us? Well, I think that you at least hit up world leaders pri- on private channels and start having the conversation like, hey, guys, like, can we talk about this for a second? Because we're seeing these craft and it's occurring and we want to be on the same page because probably a good idea to do that. Yeah, but there's no evidence that it's a good idea to do that. There's no evidence that they're doing anything other than watching us. Well, but wouldn't it be a good idea for us to coordinate other players in the earth to understand our strategy? Sure. It would if if it got to that, but it hasn't gotten to that. Right now it's gotten to the, oh, there's this thing that flies really fast and goes into the water and doesn't make a splash. The fuck is that? I don't know, but uh, it's a lot of fucking oil. And uh, we got to get that oil, and there's a lot of resources. We got to control those resources because if we don't, China will. If we don't, Putin will. If we don't, this and that. And you know, we have to maintain our control, and we're the world's leader, and we're the this and the that. And you know, it's just business as usual while this is all happening in this very weird way where the Pentagon discusses it, but not very specifically, and not gives you all the information, and just says, "I can't talk about it." But yeah. We do have a crashed UFO. And we have more video that we haven't shared, which we know. Mellon said that. Yeah. That they have higher res stuff that they're specifically not sharing. Mind-blowing stuff. I mean, just the fact... When I first heard that, that Mm -hmm. they have higher res stuff... Like, in my brain, I feel like I changed. Because that felt like another level of validation for this being more of a real thing. Not that I believed in that moment, but I feel like it, it, it changed who I was a little bit because I, it felt more real. My, my concern is that it's a distraction and that this is all black ops stuff and these are drones and these are some things that we have uh, the, the capabilities of, of utilizing and that we've created and that the United States citizens don't need to know about and the world citizens don't need to know about. And this is a massive... Advantage Mm -hmm. that the people that are in control of these technologies have over everyone else Wouldn't it be better to say these are from another world and we don't have any idea I mean to be honest like I sort of lean towards that option Given how they're behaving because Mm. they're they're behaving more in a military Application mode of, of this stuff they're not. They're not behaving like in a human way. Whenever they say it's something, I'm like, "Why are you telling me that? Oh, well, you're telling me that because you want me to believe it's something. Like, why would I believe you when you lie about basically everything? Mm-hmm. If they lie about Nord Stream, they lie about the Gulf of Tonkin, they lie about, you know, all the different things they've lied about. Why would they tell the truth about this mm-hmm. all of a sudden? Right. And and this the whole thing like, oh well, they wouldn't be messing with our own pilots in restricted airspace well maybe they would right do that because that is how you create confusion 
Yeah. So, but that being said, I don't know. I, I, it's just like a bobblehead. <laughs> I'm I'm just back and forth every day. <laughs> well, I think yeah, we're basically just mentally masturbating until there's some real information. Well, but, there is, but there is. But there is. So there we're back again. <laughs> <laughs> but there's so little. There's so little, and so it's so inconclusive, and there's so many, you know, statements like maybe you know, we can teach AI to like go and get the information for us. And I wonder like, what go. AI. I wonder what Chat GPT says about UFOs. Yeah, and well, now that it's becoming autonomous, like Jamie, you want to give it a run? <laughs> what would you like me okay. to specifically ask it? Let's say, are to your knowledge, are we being visited by beings or crafts from another world? How about that? Okay. Yeah. Being visited by beings, beings or crafts from another world. Dun, dun, dun. It'll probably provide a bullet list of cases. That's Let's what I'm see. guessing. Here it goes. As an AI language model, I do not have personal beliefs or opinions, but I can provide you with information based on the topic of extraterrestrial visitation. As of my knowledge, the cutoff date of 2021, there's no conclusive evidence that definitely provides, proves the existence of extraterrestrial life or that we are being visited by beings or crafts from another world. While there have been many claims of sightings, abductions, and encounters, these have often been attributed to misinterpretations of natural phenomenon, hoaxes, or psychological phenomenon. However, some scientists and researchers continue to explore the possibility of extraterrestrial life and the potential for interstellar travel. The search for extraterrestrial intelligence, uh, SETI, is an ongoing scientific effort to detect signs of intelligent life elsewhere in the universe, while initiatives such as Breakthrough, Starshot, aim to develop technology for interstellar travel. In, similar, in summary, while there is no concrete evidence of extraterrestrial visitation, the search for extraterrestrial life and the possibility of interstellar travel remain topics of scientific interest and investigation. Oh, uh, that's so weak. Yeah, I mean they're seems... not they're, they're not even aware of the the most recent advan advances in the U.S. government for how it's being looked into. You know they're talking about as of 2021. Oh, 2021. Oh. Yeah, so it's why is it giving you information from two years ago when all yeah. this stuff really kind of broke? What broke in 2017? That was the New York Times article that claimed that the Pentagon. Right, so that should be there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, man. No, I love it. All all, all of these issues are. Are so much fun to talk about. Whatever the it most is, fun. yeah. <laughs> UFOs are the most fun to talk about, and it's just like we're. I'm just focused on trying to have more civil conversations about it yeah. because it just seems like everybody just wants to jump on their team's side and just have shallow conversations. Like, be able to pursue possibilities from the other side steel man the other side like yeah. steel man steel man steel man constantly yeah. that's yeah. what like that needs that, i didn't why isn't that being taught in school right i never heard that until i was like 35 right, Wait, right. <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> that's so true yeah it's so important to be able to do that with every argument i try to do that with things that i'm opposed to i try to steel man things it's it's important to really know, know why you think about things and that's that should be taught it's not, you know, it's except the narrative. There's um, these Pentagon files are the same thing the New York Times is doing with um, the Nord Stream stuff. That, so there's basically been a media blackout over these Pentagon files. Like the, it's being called the, the, the biggest U.S. government leak since Snowden. 
This happened in like the last couple weeks. And Fox News even made a statement, we're not going to cover this. We're not going to show the documents because like serious blueprints for Ukraine were were leaked. And yes. do you hear about these? Yes. So explain that to people. I, I'm not I, I'm definitely not an expert on this. But, but it seems like a blueprint for setting up this war. Yes. And uh, like very sensitive document. I mean, Kirby, one of the he, John Kirby, he's like Biden's spokesperson. He's the guy who lied about the Nord Stream thing you know, in the press room. Mm -hmm. And he came out and said to, he specifically told media, don't cover this leak, which is just a shocking thing to hear from, you know, a government official telling the press not to cover a leak. Did he give a reason? I mean, uh, national security and like screwing up the whole Ukraine situation. With the truth. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge strategic Don't blunder. come to the truth, guys. You're with us. Yeah. Meanwhile, we've been fucking you for decades. Yeah. Yeah, that money... But, the, but listen to us. So these leaks are... The, the leaks are escalating, which, you know, obviously you don't want it to be... Um, and this is why the government should start the process of, like, an actual disclosure, you know, opening up FOIA, Freedom of Information Act, much further, making it much, setting us on a path to get the information because otherwise we're going to get these, keep getting these leaks and it's going to be worse for them. Yeah. Because it's going to come out willy-nilly and it's going to cause a lot more problems. It's going to completely erode trust. Right. Yeah. Yes. So, like, let's, you know, we can probably all get on board for a path to getting there. Yeah. So... Well, listen, man, um, I appreciate you and I really appreciate what you're doing and your thought process behind all this and that you're st stuck to these ethics. You've stuck to them from the very beginning when you formulated this, com this company and you're, you're still doing it. Thanks so much for appreciate having me. Appreciate it very much. Yeah, uh, if, um, tell people it's minds.org. Minds.com or minds.org, minds both. Yeah. Um, or you can get it on the App Store. Just search Minds, M-I-N-D-S. Or if you want to support us, wefunder.com slash Minds. Trying to be community-owned. And yeah, man, I really appreciate it. Right. My pleasure, brother. Thank you very much. Bye, everybody.